Listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome to the Oz Network for the beginning of a brand new month, the month of February, which is also the month of anniversaries. Uh, everywhere in the world, everybody celebrates anniversaries only in February. Uh, except for us, in past years, we've done this all over the place. <laughs> Have we ever done an anniversary month in February? I don't know. But we're now designating this anniversary month from now until the end of eternity. And we're going to bring you four anniversaries, as Ben pointed out uh, last week, in reverse order of release, uh, just by complete fluke. Today, we've got the 2006 classic on level with The Godfather, <laughs> The Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> we always try to throw uh, one of these movies out there that's definitely not uh, our genre of choice. Uh, maybe something to please Mallory and Jamie. Uh, I know Jamie's been asking me to watch this movie for a long time, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna kick it off here with the uh, I don't want to call it a chick flick. Uh, let's call it the uh, female-oriented business corruption film. Uh, <laughs> satirical thriller starring satirical <laughs> thriller. <laughs> uh, but uh, this this movie's apparently more of a classic than Superman Returns. Uh, that's all that we know about it going in. Why aren't we doing uh, the 50th anniversary of Superman Returns, Colin? Why don't we do the... Oh, stop, stop, start uh, again. Cancel okay. the episode. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Oz Network for the 50th anniversary of Superman Returns. Yay. And joining us today, Brandon Ralph. <laughs> yes, he actually called us. He literally just called us in. He's like, hey, I heard the word Superman Returns. Are you doing it? I'm on. <laughs> uh, we're going to bring you all the excitement of The Devil Wears Prada today. My name is Colin, and did someone eat an onion bagel? And my name is Ben, and you know me. Give me a full ballerina skirt and a hint of saloon, and I'm on board. <laughs> That's how I got him on the show today, people. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I don't have much history with this movie. Um, I briefly alluded to my history last week that probably every couple months, I asked Jamie, what do you want to watch? She says, oh, do you know we should watch The Devil Wears Prada? <laughs> And I have not once agreed to watch it uh, until we are covering it. And somehow she forgets every conversation that we ever had because we're halfway through the movie. And I'm saying, you know, what doesn't make sense about this movie. And she's like, wait, you've seen this before, right? I'm like, no, I've never seen it. Do I look like somebody that watches the Devil Wears Prada? My go-to answer for her. Uh, but having watched it now for the first time, it's actually not bad. I think uh, we always pick one of these, you know, female oriented films. We did, Dirty Dancing, which was complete garbage. Oh, don't we did Grease, Grease, which has some good songs, but I think it's complete garbage. We did The Notebook, which <laughs> oh. I thought I liked more than I did, and then I rewatched it, and it was complete, complete garbage. <laughs> and then we did Ghost last year, which actually wasn't too bad. But I think of all the, the ones we've done, this one's probably my favorite. Well, you say you look at me and uh, do I look like somebody who watches The Devil Wears Prada? Probably look at me and think I am probably someone who watches The Devil Wears Prada. Yes. Um, <laughs> I don't need to say that. Um, I saw this at the movies. I, My friend and I at the time were uh, trying to work out what we wanted to go see at the movies. I really wanted to see World Trade Center and she really wanted to see Devil Wears Prada. And this was the only time in my life that I have seen two movies at the cinemas in the same day. Because uh, I think like World Trade Center came on at say like four, and then this came on at seven. Um, and you talk about cultural impact. Only one of those movies I've seen since I've seen it at cinemas. And that's a Devil Wears Prada. I've never watched. World- <laughs> and I didn't dislike World Trade Center. It was a perfectly adequate movie about nine eleven. Um, 
<laughs> they had Nicolas Cage in it. He wasn't there standing at the bottom of the trade centers going, I'm not a terrorist. Woo! <laughs> you got to take the building down. Down. Building down. Like, not quite how it worked. If, if that had been how it was, maybe more memorable. Uh, not the trade center. Been... Not the trade center. <laughs> no, no, not the plane. Not the plane. Anything but the plane. <laughs> Oh Terrorist oh plane <laughs> building dead <laughs> New York. Jeez, they missed they missed something there with World Trade Center. Anyway, um, so saw this at the movies. I I actually remember watching this first time, going, "Hey, that was actually really good." Um, and yeah, I would maybe watch this every couple of years. This would be something that my myriad of ex fiancés would go, "Hey, let's watch The Devil Wears Prada," <laughs> and I'm like, "Okay, I like that movie." Um, and I also remember it being. This weird movie that seemingly was on Australian TV like every, I think, oh, they it set a record or something because for some reason <laughs> networks in Australia would get this movie and then show it once and then get rid of it. Like it was something. And then as soon as it got rid of it, every network wanted to pick it up. And I remember reading an article that basically this set a record for being shown on Australian TV like four times in like four months on four different networks or something <laughs> ridiculous. Maybe not that, but... This was always on TV in Australia. It was this, and growing up, The Fugitive was always on TV. Um, random movies. Anyway, um, point is, I like this movie. <laughs> I've always enjoyed this movie. Although, um, having said that, there's a couple of things actually I really, that have never stood out to me this time watching it. And again, I don't know if yeah. this is just because we analyse movies and try to sound smart. Um, but yeah, there's a few things I really want to point out with this film. And also, having said that, um, we are two straight men who are pre- probably not the demographic demographic of this movie. Maybe at least one of these or two of these are going to be like, oh, you're only saying that because you're a man. But, hey, <laughs> welcome to the Oz Network. It's it's going to happen that way. But, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. I like this movie. Uh, uh, I'm going to actually go along with what you just said. I mentioned this in episodes before, at least one episode before. Uh, I'm, I'm so over the idea that every movie needs to be all-inclusive of everything. Uh, and we definitely see this more with guys movies right now where it's like, oh, you know, these guys action movies, there's no development for the female characters in there. This movie right here is evidence. There's no development for male characters in, you know, uh, uh, female led movies either. And I'm OK with that. I mean, there are movies that I will go to and say, hey, let's watch uh, nonstop or John Wick. And I mean, in the case of John Wick, Jamie will always say yes. In the case of nonstop, she'll say no. Uh, and there's movies that she'll always say, hey, let's watch Sense and Sensibility and The Devil Wears Prada. And I'm like, you know, I'm not, not, not made for those movies. <laughs> it's not in my DNA. Uh, but it's, it's not a thing about saying, okay, well, all guys have to like this type of movie. All girls have to like this type of movie. But it's okay to have a movie that's targeted towards a demographic. And I am judging this movie as a, a straight male that is not, terribly interested in fashion uh it's funny as we're I can tell. watching this well i was gonna say as we were watching this i had flashbacks to our episode of the thomas crown affair where i uh joke not jokingly i seriously asked you do you know anything about art and you burst out laughing do i know anything about art the equivalent question to me would be do you know anything about fashion i mean you're lucky you got me on a day where i'm wearing shorts <laughs> uh i i have very little in my wardrobe um and what i have is probably got holes in it <laughs> See, i apparently own more uh, clothes than mallory i get told off all the time by mallory she's like you own more clothes than i do and i'm like yeah probably <laughs> well i can see that yeah. uh, <laughs> very big into prada ben yes. but um 
it, this movie's it's not going to be made for everybody and i think it's okay to have movies like this and there are things that i'm going to judge and yeah sure i'll be just that's the straight male's perspective the same way that if we're watching the new liam neeson movie jamie's gonna be like well you know this really doesn't okay that's your opinion that's fine uh but what i will say that i took away from this movie is i found a parallel to it that really made me click with this more uh and and, and it's not the movie click uh, <laughs> topic of conversation lately uh but it's uh it's it's a small movie that i might have mentioned when we did our uh top 10 movies of the decade last year uh it's uh or or the year before that sorry (laughs) the decade did end over a year ago uh but it's it's this movie called margin call which is kind of a fictional fictional story that takes place on the night before the 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 stock market crash the 2008 financial crisis and it's uh it's got a huge cast two of the actors are in this movie which is probably why i thought of it stanley tucci and simon baker are both in this movie also has like Zachary Quinto and Jeremy Irons and Demi Moore. But uh, that movie's about corruption and greed and politics and bitterness and all, all the stuff that the Devil Wears Prada is filled with is just in the, it's in the financial industry. And it, it's a movie that, that I clicked with. I understood on the same level. That I think Jamie clicks with and understands the Devil Wears Prada. Uh, so the two movies are very similar. This one I definitely think is more formulaic. I think the the one takeaway I had after watching this that I was surprised with is this movie's reputation has built so much over the last 15 years that I was expecting something that would be like absolutely unique and you know uh, in no way does it fit into any type of genre. Like I was thinking this would this got like serious consideration for the Oscars, got a couple of Oscar nominations, but even Best Picture landed on several critics' top 10 lists and. I wish that they had maybe strayed a little bit further away from the just the simple formula of a chick flick. You need to have the happy ending. You need to have the girl who goes the wrong way and then comes back in the end and makes it like too much on the end, I think, uh, was just too stock standard. But there is some stuff in here that definitely surprised me. Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm just choking on my own opinions, apparently. Um, no, I agree with you. I think there's definitely a couple of things that, you know, like the ending, I would say, is kind of, sort of formulaic but also it's i mean i've got questions about the ending which i've never had before i remember last night mallory and i went out like a couple of hours after watching this movie and at one point we're talking about something else and i'm like just back to the movie the ending uh i've got questions (laughs) still um but yeah it's it's interesting how much sort of award attention it got and like i again i can see this is a good film it's there's two movies that i kind of look at at parallels in ways because i was reading a bit about the history or i watched a video on the history of this film is that Initially, they kind of wanted to do this as almost more of a parody. And then obviously people realized like, hey, Zoolander exists. And that's kind of a pretty mm. accurate send up of the fashion industry. A movie which made my, it might have even made my top 10 Zoolander. I can't remember. At least made my top 20. I love that movie. Um, but the other one, it's it's not a similar movie, but it's in terms of the, the attention it got. Uh, maybe, you know, a, a film that you didn't think would get that much attention. A couple of years later, like The Hangover all of a sudden got all this attention oh, out yeah. of nowhere, which... The Hangover is kind of a pretty formulaic film. It just got the mm-hmm. attention right because it was a bit of a gross-out film, which, I mean, really is it like, <laughs> besides the credits, is The Hangover really that disgusting? Not really. Um, mm-hmm. And it's kind of, you watch them now and they're both great films. I'm a mad Hangover fan. Um, but, like, they're pretty standard movies and you kind of think to yourself, well, why do these get so much, you know, attention for me? Wow, these are, like, you know, amazing films when they're not that different to what we're used to seeing. And the other interesting thing I think I just realized when you read out those lists of films that we've covered, sort of that, you know, the the female-oriented movie we've done in Anniversary Month, 
every single one I feel we've done has this massive reputation and is beloved by females. Mm-hmm. And every single one we've done, you and I have been the, I guess, typical men and gone, oh, why, why do women <laughs> like these so much? Like, I wasn't that down on Greece. Greece was fine. Ghost was fine. Um, the Notebook, shit. Dirty Dancing, shit. Um, mm-hmm. And even, like, I've actually not met a female that likes Dirty Dancing, um, but, like, The Notebook, <laughs> really? like, Mallory's in love with that movie. And I'm like, why? This movie's crap. This movie is kind of that one where it's like, okay, I can see why females would love this movie. A couple of my um, gay friends in high school loved this movie. And, like, I can see the appeal. But I think this has appeal for, like, non-females, non-gay guys, like basically people who maybe this isn't targeted to. And I don't know what it is about this movie that does that. I think I think the characters are very interesting in this movie. I think that it's paced well enough that it's enjoyable. I think, you know, even the stuff that's quite clearly like, oh, this is like girl power and all this kind of stuff, it's done in a way like this, except for one bit, which I'll nitpick about. I think it's done in such a subtle way that it's not forced down your throat. And you can just enjoy it. And, like, it's even a case of I think we can all look at this film and go, we've all had a job where we've had a boss who's a pain in the butt Mm. or we've all been at the bottom and felt like, what are we doing this job for? Um, You know, why are we here? Things like that. And I think that's where this movie works. Like, anybody can relate to this movie on some level. And, yeah. And plus also I clearly wear Prada all the time and I'm a devil. So that's (laughs) also... And often people call me the Oz Network's Meryl Streep. So, yeah. Yeah, because you're always nominated for Australian of the Year and never win it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Touché, yes. Um, I, I was just looking in the background at your uh, uh, little uh, Judy Dench pop they figure. They all thinking, fell oh, down. Well, one of them, is, a couple of them fallen down. No, Judy's like, still standing though, but I thought well, that was like the Meryl Streep one there. No, well, that's what, like, I don't know if you saw a second ago, I muted myself and was moving stuff. I looked, because I could see in the camera, I'm like, why is like Piers Brosnan <laughs> down and they're all missing? So clearly my cat in the middle of the night has jumped up here and knocked everything down. So Jeff <laughs> Goldblum's still standing though. That's a man. He knows how to, well, he's laying. Well, he's but, still laying down. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we know um, what we're talking about. But no, I don't have the Meryl Streep one. That's Judy, but... She, you know, see Meryl Streep, so good, could play Judy Dench, and then Judy Dench would also get the Oscar nomination because she's also that good. That's right. Uh, and Jeff Goldblum would get a nomination just for laying. Oh, breaking news! Uh, actually, I believe Tanya Roberts has died, and Meryl Streep has been nominated oh. for an Oscar for her death. Okay. <laughs> just, just. Oh yeah. That's, that up. Wait, wait, wait! Even, even more breaking news: Tanya Roberts is still alive, and Meryl's Oscar has been rescinded. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but actually Meryl Streep got nominated for another Oscar for her Aussie getting rescinded. So a woman can do anything. Uh, I guess a little bit of history about this movie. Uh, I, again, I didn't know anything about it. I knew exactly what the story was. Uh, it, it's it's pretty... It's devil. Pretty str- and she wears Prada. Wears Prada, yeah. It's all you need to know. It's like snakes in a plane. The, the, the movie plot's in the title. Simple. <laughs> The devil wears Prada Actually, on a plane. Fairness, I don't know fashion enough to the point where does does she wear Prada in this film? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. I wondered. We just lost all our listeners. Oh, these uneducated fashion types. She's clearly wearing Prada in scene <laughs> 17. Oh, delete. Rob has we a podcast both, retrospective on devil wears Prada. <laughs> we are both wearing our best garments right now in their hoodies. So <laughs> we are not the ones to uh, Mine's a hoodie from some store in New Zealand. That's my fashion. New Zealand hoodies. Oh. Mine's the Manitoba Run Crew. Oh, 
coming soon to a runway. Famous, man. It's about run you, crew. New York Fashion Week. <laughs> Is there Winnipeg uh, Fashion Week? I can't imagine that would take off. I, I, I'm I'm headlining it this weekend. <laughs> Everyone would go and watch it, but all the outfits look the same. So yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, but the I guess the history with this movie. Uh, that I didn't realize it's actually quite interesting. Is it's based on a book? Did you know that, Ben? I did. Have you read Mallory, the book? Mallory. Well, I have it. Mallory has. Mallory read it not that long oh, really? ago, and um, she, I think she like picked it up in a like a dollar store or something like that. But um, yeah, I was going to see if we can get Mallory on today because she the, apparently the it's as most case the movie differs from the book, and there's a lot different. Like when it comes to Simon Baker's character, we'll talk about him. Like he's a lot different mm. in the book and all this sort of stuff. But um, I think I knew that coming into watching this movie because. I believe when I saw it, it was round about when I was getting the press, like, oh, is it a real story? Is it not? And, you know, yeah. is this really based on, what is her name, Anna Winter and things like that? A- like Anna Winter, yeah. Yeah, like, and from what I can tell, it's, like, somewhat based on a on a real story. Like, the author of the book did work at Vogue. And yeah, for Anna Winter. For Anna Winter. And basically... Anna Winter, I think, like, distanced herself slightly, but then all of a sudden she started attending, like, the premiere and apparently now everybody always asks her about this and she's always very complimentary about, like, being talked about. But mm. I think the book was renowned for the fact that this is somewhat based on some form of truth. Well, it it slightly reminds me of the story of Primary Colors, which I've also brought mm. up before, mm-hmm. uh, which was a fictional book at the time written by an anonymous author because, oh, you don't want to cross the Clintons. Uh, that's loosely based on the um, campaign of the primary, Democratic primary campaign of the Clintons. Uh, also very similar when the author eventually came out, he had worked with them on that campaign. It does make you question some things in the movie, but uh, from what I understand, the book and this are very different. Uh, different enough, like you said, that that most of Anna Winter's criticisms that she initially had uh, once she realized that they had changed enough that it wasn't really her in the movie, she was okay with it. But it, it is funny to read some of the stuff. Some of it, I'm going to immediately rebuke some of these uh, stories about what she did. Uh, but it, there's a lot of parallels to uh, the movie Citizen Kane, which is almost universally considered the greatest film ever made, uh, which was loosely based on uh, a media mogul of the time named William Randolph Hearst who heard that they were making a movie about him and that it was uncomplimentary. The real story was that he didn't care what they said about him, but it was uncomplimentary towards his wife. Uh, but he just tried to destroy the movie, make sure it never got released, told uh, some of these stories that Anna Winter did similar things. Like she went to all the other magazines and said, you know, don't uh, run any stories on this. Don't run any reviews. None of this. I, I think that there may have been some truth to the fact that she resisted this movie and maybe tried to use some of her, uh, devil powers to uh, kibosh the movie, but when she's appearing at the premiere, I find it hard to believe that she had told her reviewers don't review this movie because she's at the premiere. So some of it, I think, is you know completely fabricated over the years. Well, I also think it comes down to the fact that from what I was reading, um, she all of a sudden gets a lot of publicity and a lot more people realize who she is. I, I could I yeah. have told you who Anna Winter was before this movie? No, uh, I mean I've mm-hmm. heard of Vogue, uh, but I couldn't tell you who the editor is. I mean, I'm a journalist and I couldn't tell you the editor is half the magazines and newspapers I read, right? Like, always baffled me. Or the ones you work for. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Um, But, like, she got a shit ton of publicity after this. So, and, like, I think Mm -hmm. most people, like, you and I wouldn't be talking about it today if it wasn't for this movie. So, um, I think she probably realized after a while, like, 
hang on a minute, this is good. Um, and then mm-hmm. they did a documentary on her a few years later, I think called the September issue or something like that, which was, you know, semi-successful, I believe. So, But I, it was interesting reading about the author of this, Lauren Weisberger, always wise to have a burger, um, that <laughs> she apparently like went and wrote sort of bits and pieces down and then turned into a book and she she didn't think anyone was going to buy it. She basically wanted to see it in store so that her parents could buy it. And then all of a sudden when I think they'd bought the movie rights of this when it was still in draft phase and basically like just she didn't think this was going to be what it was and now she's probably a millionaire. Um, so mm. it's crazy to think that. Um, clearly that's what we're doing here. Oh, we didn't think the Oz Network would be a success. Actually, let's be honest, it's yeah. the opposite. We went into this kind of, this is going to be groundbreaking, <laughs> there's going to be a Meryl Streep movie and here yeah. we are in the 10th anniversary year of Survivor Oz slash the Oz Network and we're still doing this for nothing. So thanks, people. Uh, as far as the the cast goes, um, interesting to read here that Anne Hathaway was not who they had in mind. And originally, even when she was brought up, they didn't really want her. She was uh, one fighting Rachel, for this, apparently. She was the yeah, one who like, fought hard for yeah. it. And I, I like Anne Hathaway. Can I just put that on record right now? Anne Hathaway yeah. fan. I'm a fan away. I, I'm a fan away, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's interesting because... Uh, I don't think I was always Emily Blunt and Anne Hathaway. I pretty much have the same opinion on. I mean, I was a little bit more forgiving to Anne Hathaway, but I really I wouldn't say dislike them, but I just I found them very bland. I'm not gonna say I found Anne Hathaway bland. I found her to be the opposite. I found her to be a little bit overbearing in a lot of her movies. Uh, and seeing her in interviews, and especially when you see like the Academy Awards uh, ceremony, everybody everybody got on James Franco's case for the Academy Awards, like. James Franco was boring, but I mean, Anne Hathaway was annoying. <laughs> uh, but I, I just, I didn't really care for her for the longest time. And the same thing with Emily Blunt. And I think it took the right movies for me to really appreciate them. Uh, it, with Anne Hathaway, uh, it was uh, obviously the, the Dark Knight Rises, which she is easily the best thing about that movie. I mean, one of the best things in any Batman movie. I, I think she blows away Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Uh, and then in the case of Emily Blunt, Everything I saw her in, I just found her to be bland and uninteresting. And uh, she had done like a series of sci-fi movies like Looper and The Adjustment Bureau. And like she just doesn't fit this genre at all. And then she did the, the Tom Cruise movie, Edge of Tomorrow. I'm like, okay, I can kind of see, you know, what the appreciation is with her now. And then she did Sicario, uh, which did make my list for uh, favorite movies of the decade, uh, where she dumps herself up like a ton. <laughs> it's a running joke in that movie where people are like, are you planning to shower at any point this week? Uh, and then the same thing with a quiet place where she's just, you know, messy and, and, and pregnant and sweating the whole movie. Uh, and there's something with her losing the glamorous image where I appreciate it a lot more as an actress. And now if Anne Hathaway or Emily Blunt's in a movie, like I'm on board, I'm watching it just for them. But uh, I, I wasn't definitely not in 2006. Was I going my way to watch Anne Hathaway and Emily Blunt movies? I think I fell in love with Emily Blunt in this movie. Like I remember seeing the movies going, "Who's that hot receptionist?" Like you know, I I loved her in this film. Um, and Anne Hathaway, like I remember as a kid seeing the Princess Diaries, um, because why not? Um, and. <laughs> I, I really liked her in Batman. I'm just trying to think of things that I've actually seen her in. She was, um, wasn't she the main girl in the Get Smart movie with Steve Carell? Yeah. Like, yeah, I, see, I like her. I don't think I've ever seen anything with Anne Hathaway that I haven't liked. And I've never understood, because I don't know if it still exists, but wasn't there this big hatred for Anne Hathaway at some point during the 2000s? Yeah. Like everyone hated her. Well, I mean, a lot of it had to do with Les Mis. And, and Les Mis is the other movie that really turned me around on her. 
Uh, but she goes on to win the Academy Award for basically having one scene that's five minutes long. I mean, in a two and a half hour long movie to win the Academy Award for supporting actress for what should be a cameo rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I think that combined with her Oscar hosting duties <laughs> uh, definitely turned a lot of people off on her. Uh, but, uh, I mean, she, over the years, you know, some of her movies, I think <laughs> maybe you might've missed if you have never seen Bride Wars, uh, still never see Bride Wars. Think, it is uh, so bad. Is that her? Is that Kate Hudson? Yeah. I think I saw that. Like, I think Louise had that at one point. I made uh, saw half of it and it, it didn't stand out to me. <laughs> I have a hatred for that movie. Um, but, uh, um, what was the other one that she was, Ocean's 8. Ocean's 8 has a massive cast, and most of the actors are kind of disappointing. Anne Hathaway, again, completely steals that movie. Like, there's something about her, put her in the right role in a movie that doesn't work, and she really livens it up. Uh, Ocean's 8 and Batman uh, would definitely be the two best examples of that. Um, She also is like... um... Like, I had a real thing for Jennifer Lawrence and then kind of Jennifer Lawrence's stick worn, has waned on me, right? Like, yeah. she's kind of got like that, oh, she's the one you could be friends with. But like, I don't know, there's just something about it that kind of comes across as fake after a while with Jennifer Lawrence. Whereas I see Anne Hathaway is kind of the same, but she to me seems genuine. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's a blonde versus brunette thing. Maybe I'm um, against blonde. <laughs> and like, I don't dislike Jennifer Lawrence. I do like Jennifer Lawrence. I think she's a great actress. I think she's gorgeous. Like, I think she does seem like a nice person, but it just seems a bit fake sometimes. Whereas Anne Hathaway is that type of person I feel that you could just be friends with. You'd want to hang out with, you know, this beautiful person to get beautiful friends. I have beautiful <laughs> friends, Colin. You're welcome. Um, thank you. But, well, uh, thank you. <laughs> but I, don't, like, <laughs> I think in general, the cast of this movie is like, there's not really anyone in this film I don't like, except for Rebecca Mader. We'll get to her, Charlotte from Lost. Um, well, I have nothing against Re- Rebecca Mader, the person. She's very close to coming on oh. the Oz Network. If you're listening, come on the Oz Network. I just hate oh, Charlotte. Oh, she does. Let me on. <laughs> Let me on the episode because I mean she's she's okay I, she's okay on Lost but oh she's, she's the on, worst uh, on Lost oh I can't stand a character <laughs> she was on Covert Affairs one uh, of my favorite shows um, she was in one of the Marvel a, movies I feel she was in one of the Iron Man or something like that um, uh, I don't remember I know that she, Jamie used to watch Once Upon a Time and oh, uh, the show where lost actors awful, go to but, die <laughs> yeah but she played the Wicked Witch of the West on Once Upon a Time probably the one character I actually liked on Once Upon a Time uh, amazing on that the the other uh, cast though this like um. Mrs. Brady, uh, soon to be 10 times Super Bowl appearing uh, Tom Brady oh, yeah. this weekend. Uh, Giselle Bunston. Um, I mean, she doesn't really act in this movie. She just is there. <laughs> um, I'd never watched Entourage, so I don't know never much have. about, uh, was it Adrian Grenier or how you say his name? Yeah. But I've got a lot to say about his character in this movie. Um, I've got a lot to say about him too. Uh- <laughs> Well, I don't know where we're going to go on that because that's an interesting one. Tasmania's own Simon Baker and oh, love, love me some Simon Baker. And I just want to point out, we're watching this film. I want to say this now because I'll forget. He comes on screen and Mallory's like, oh, 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 I love him. I love him. And then all of a sudden at one point, silent. And she goes, I would sleep with him. And I sort of like <laughs> looked at her and she's like, he'd be one of my five. I'd kick out one of the Chris's. And I'm like, I'm like, you know, you basically do sleep with him, right? And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, he's Tasmanian. I'm Tasmanian. Kind of the same thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're brothers. And I'm like, we're Tasmanian. We're all related. You see, that would have been her perfect opportunity to say, Ben, I find you attractive too. But I bet Thank those you. words never came out of her mouth. She actually, no, was it last night? We went out for dinner. She called me attractive. Thank you. Um, 
first time in three years. Um, did, did she afterwards giggle? Yeah, she was You're attractive. Incredibly drunk. Um, Stanley Tucci, I, love, I mean, who doesn't love Stanley oh, Tucci? Oh, he's Come on. amazing. What a man. Um, and like Joe Aldrich's side, I'm a mad Meryl fan. I, I love Meryl Streep. Well, yeah, before we get into the movie, let's quickly talk about Meryl Streep because I, I feel like I've developed this reputation for hating Meryl Streep. Um, I really don't. There are movies that I think she is bad in that she still gets nominated for awards for. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. Pierce Brosnan, yes, he is an awful singer in Mamma Mia. <laughs> Meryl Streep is just as bad. I don't know why nobody's willing to admit that. Uh, Into the Woods, absolutely hated that movie, hated her in it. Uh, I just hate the idea that Meryl Streep's in a movie you have to nominate for an Oscar. And I expected to go into this movie feeling like, oh, why was Meryl Streep nominated for an Oscar for that? Like I do with half the movie she's nominated. The other half I'm okay with is just don't nominate for everything. I 100% believe she deserved a nomination for the movie. Like this, I think, is one of her best performances. Um, not to mention the fact we're watching this movie and Jamie's like, there's a hot old broad. And I'm like, who? I'm like, Meryl Streep. I'm like, really? No, I'm like, nah, nah. She's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. She's she's definitely hot. And like halfway through the movie, I'm like, you know what? I'd go there. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But this is Gray hair is working for her. But I like I'm with you because like there's something about Meryl Streep. It doesn't matter what age. Like, again, going back to my point about someone like Jenna Florence and Hathaway just seem like a nice, genuine person. Meryl Streep seems like a genuinely damn nice mm. person. And like she's so good, like she could, like she can be eighty and act hot and still be hot because she's Meryl Streep and win an Academy Award yeah. for it. Like I, like I'm maybe not, you know, the one of these people who stand by she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But like I, I mean, from what I have seen her in, always amazing. Like mm-hmm. I, I think the first thing I would have ever seen her in was Kramer vs Kramer, which was just again I've talked oh, about yeah. that before. Some random movie as a kid I used to watch all the time. I don't know why, but I did. Um, and then. I've still not seen uh, the one she did where she's Lindy Chamberlain, the, the dingo ate my baby, cry in the dark. I've got it. I've just not watched it. Um, and we've talked a lot about, say, The River Wild was a movie that I used to watch all mm-hmm. the time. I mean, she's not going to get nominated for an Oscar in that. I mean, Kevin Bacon got nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Dramatic Performance. So why couldn't Meryl Streep? <laughs> Kevin Bacon, better than Meryl Streep. There you go. Proof. <laughs> um, still waiting for his first Oscar nomination. But... I think everything I've seen her in, I've always just absolutely loved her. I d- I've not seen the Mamma Mia movies. There's a reason for that. I do not want to see Pierce Brosnan sing. I refuse <laughs> to subject myself to that. Um, I saw The Iron Lady. That was fine. Uh, the Post. The Post. Yeah, great. I'm just looking at other things here that she's been in that I don't know if I've seen. Um, Ricky seen? and the Flash? No, I can't say <laughs> that's uh, been out there on my <laughs> list to watch. Uh, I don't know if I've seen The Hours. I feel I might have seen The Hours. Oh, yeah, that's great. And that's what Nicole Kimmel won an Oscar for, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Meryl Streep. Hashtag Queen Meryl. Uh, let's jump into the movie here. Um, and he, he, I think you started the last episode by saying, or you ended the last episode by saying that the opening song in this movie, I would be very happy about. It's, I'll, I'll, nope. I want to defend, well, I, okay, I don't want to defend myself. So <laughs> I haven't seen this movie in a long time. We were on a recent road trip with one of Mallory's friends and we discovered that she liked Madonna. So of course I'm like, Hey, and we played a Madonna <laughs> playlist and on came Vogue, and she's like, I love this song. It's the opening of The Devil Wears Prada. And I'm like, is it? I haven't seen that in a while. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll believe you. Clearly, it wasn't the opening of Devil Wears yeah. Prada. Um, having said that, there are two Madonna songs in this film, so I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, I know one of them. I, I don't know what... I know the Vogue, other one was Jump, which if you don't know that album, you won't know that song. But um, no, this does not open with Madonna. It opens up with that, Suddenly I see... That's stuck in my head the last day. I don't like that song. 
but there is, of course, because it's a 2006 movie, an opening montage. <laughs> Don't you love this movie is montage heavy. It's almost like a sports film from the 90s. We, <laughs> but, we need the uh, Team America. It's going to be a montage. Montage. <laughs> Show lots of things happening at once. Oh, so well, I will say that this movie really nails how to do a montage right. It's not, yeah. I mean, it's cheesy only because montages are so overdone during this time period. But the fact that it's actually about something, it's its showing, you know, Anne Hathaway, how she's getting ready for this job interview. And then everybody else in the industry, how completely different they are. Anne Hathaway's just throwing on her clothes, eating her onion bagel, <laughs> cramming it in her mouth, uh, heading off for this job interview. And she immediately gets there and uh, to the job interview and uh, meets Emily Blunt, who explains she's replacing herself. I'm going to have an issue with that later on, uh, bookmark. And uh, they talk about how, oh, uh, you know, normally we would hire somebody who's actually interested in fashion. Do I not look like I'm interested in fashion? That's the running joke in this movie. And this is where we also get Stanley Tucci being introduced right before they take her in. Uh, we get the entire office chaos uh, right before the, but Stanley Tucci, that line where he's just like, somebody eat an onion bagel. <laughs> it's just the disgust in his voice. <laughs> and then we check in her breath. Can we just point out uh, quickly that Stanley Tucci nails this role. Like, oh, so good. Like, I, I didn't want to be the one coming on the podcast, the guy coming on the podcast saying my favorite thing about this movie was the guy in the movie. But I'm okay with saying it. Stanley Tucci steals this movie from everybody. And I think, like, if you don't know who this guy is, you believe he's gay in real life. Like, he, he, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm, okay, let me just clarify. I'm not saying all gay people are like this. They're not. This is kind of a bit of a stereotype. But at the same time, it's not a stereotype because. A lot of my gay friends are like Stanley Tucci, like the mannerisms. And, and this is, okay, this is what this movie does well, what I was saying before about it. It doesn't shove it in your face. It's not, like, mm-hmm. you don't even hear that he is gay in this movie. Like, he might not be gay. I might be jumping to a conclusion. Yeah, saying no, that that's, gay. that's the best thing about it. They don't make it a, a, de- a big deal in the movie. Yeah, and that's what this movie does, except for one moment. They, like, everything in this movie is done on a way where you don't have to go, like, hey, everyone, you're watching a movie about strong women. Make sure you yeah. pay attention to that. And this is a strong gay character. Like remember that Like you don't It's not shove your face And But Stanley Tucci Is so believable As his character I mean again Let's assume he's meant To be gay But mm-hmm. it's never well, Okay but there's one scene That bit when he's like um, You know This is for the kids Who are You know When everyone thinks They're going to soccer practice They're secretly taking What does he say Sewing lessons Or something like that Right Or you know uh, it, was. it was I've got it written down Here somewhere Yeah Doing something Underneath the blanket It's not masturbating But uh, yeah. Yes <laughs> Masturbating What's that Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, the point is, Stanley Tucci is fantastic in this film, and why was he not nominated for anything? Yeah, because he's a guy. Exactly. Uh, do you know what? One thing I did think of, it again, this is the unfortunate thing of uh, the world we're living in here. Now, I understand, you know, wanting to cast people of the right race. Uh, it was a big deal. We're talking like 15 years ago, almost around the time this movie came out, when the movie Memoirs of a Geisha came out. And it was about Japanese girls and they cast every Asian but a Japanese <laughs> in all the roles. Uh, I kind of understand that, you know, if, if you're actually representing a culture. But there's just been so much over the last year or two where, what's that Scarlett Johansson movie where she's supposed to be playing a transgender uh, character? Yep, yep. It hasn't come out yet, but she was basically forced to drop out of the movie and said, you should be casting a real transgender person. They are called actors for a reason. Like, and it's unfortunate. That I think if you release this movie now, people would be complaining that Stanley Tucci should not be playing a gay man because he's not a gay man in real life. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, it's because what the Simpsons have have said. Like, we will not, you know, if you're we're doing a black character, we'll only have a voice yeah. by a black. Like, 
yeah, you're right. Like actors are actors for a reason. Okay, like there there are certain things where it's like if you completely what like if all of a sudden you do the Martin Luther King biopic and you know you cast Meryl Streep. Okay, fine. Yeah, a race makes sense. Yeah, like things like that. But like it it, it does get a bit borderline. Like where do you draw the line? Like okay. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, this like the two popes is Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins. Are they really Catholic? You know, yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> when when Bradley Cooper did uh, Silver Linings Playbook, apparently he wasn't really a Philadelphia Eagles fan and became one. <laughs> I mean, where do you draw the line? Like, come on now. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, I, 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 I believe Ron Downey Jr. Not really Iron Man. So, like, I mean, where do you draw the line? Meryl Streep and Pierce Brosnan, Mamma Mia. Not really singers. Yeah, exactly. I Daniel, see you the line there. <laughs> Daniel Craig, um, you know, he he really doesn't do things with his little finger. So, I mean, <laughs> yep. What can you say? Well, um, maybe he does. Am- Amanda <laughs> Pete. Well, where do we... Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. Nobody's casting her anyways. <laughs> uh, she was recently on uh, The Celebrity Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Wow. And I watched, it, I, watched it, <laughs> well, I watched it hoping that she would have been one of these people who like didn't even make it to $500. She made it like $250,000. Oh. I'm like, oh, Ben's going to be so disappointed in this that she's actually somewhat smart. Wow. Uh, <laughs> anyways. I think I'm going to call up for that show soon if they're getting Amanda Pete on. <laughs> Former finalists for Australian of the Year. (laughs) They're up to W-list celebrities now if they're an Amanda Peet. Only a couple away from Y-list. I'm nearly there. Uh, And then they'll get to Noah. (laughs) (laughs) Z-list. But I love the the whole office chaos here as uh, Meryl Streep's about to arrive. It kind of made me think, though, that, like, is this just a slack office? Like, this is like, you know, if when you're a kid... And your parents maybe go grocery shopping and you're supposed to do your chores while they're away. And then you see the car come up the driveway. Like, Everybody go do the dishes like really quick. <laughs> uh, that's almost what it feels like. I, it may be, I wasn't sure if it was saying that they're a lazy office or if it's just, okay, everybody's got to be on their best behavior here. There was something else that I watched. Um, what was it? Uh, oh, yeah, because we were mentioning last week, I'm on a big kids in the hall kick. And I was watching the kids in the hall movie Brain Candy, you know, trying to plan my Canadian picks for next month. And uh, there's like a big executive that arrives. And uh, as he's arriving, they're like, oh, oh, what color socks is he wearing today? Red socks. And they have to take out the blue carpet that they've already rolled down and lay out a red carpet to match his socks. <laughs> that's two back-to-back movies kind of. Uh, that, that's actually a true story for those uh, listening at home, big fans. That's how the Oz Network works. Like Colin will like, shit, Ben's wearing a black, white and red jumper. Quick, change the blue. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we color coordinate for the listeners at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, what's, what mood been in today? What, what, how's his hair looking? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, is he wearing pants? Never. <laughs> oh, no, neither am I. Good. <laughs> Yay, we're panels on an episode together. Woo. Uh, but, yeah, when she eventually arrives, uh, Emily Blunt's already uh, pretty much dismissing Anne Hathaway. It's like, who is that? <laughs> and she's like, oh, it's just somebody interviewing for your... Uh, new second assistant, but I'll get rid of her. And she's like, well, I don't know. The last two people you picked for me were completely inadequate. So send her in. <laughs> uh, and then Anne Hathaway comes in. She's uh, you know already being judged because of the way she looks. She's being judged because she doesn't know who she is. Uh, I actually wondered, if, this is something that I would have liked them to bring up later on because she says, so you don't even know who I am. And Anne Hathaway's like, no, I thought that would have been the reason why she hired her. Mm. 
But instead, it, they go with the more predictable formulaic thing where as she's about to leave, she's like, you know what? I'm a really hard worker and I'll wake up first thing in the morning and I'll, I'll do my best. Like, that's a, that's a terrible speech. Like, make it like I wanted to pick somebody who the last girl, you know, uh, or the other girl, Emily, didn't uh, handpick for me because they were inadequate. I wanted to pick somebody who didn't know who I was, uh, who would just work hard. And they, they, they kind of dropped the ball with that as far as I'm concerned. Um, but uh, the the next morning, uh, there uh, has a whole bunch of chaos. As she's was it the first day where she's called first thing, or was it the next day? One of these days, she's like called um, at six o'clock in the morning. You got to do this. Yeah, I think it's the next day. It's like ten past six in the morning. She's basically called, and she's yeah. like, "What now?" <laughs> oh, it's the the first day where she basically says, "You're chained to your desk." That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, so she's telling her, "Okay, these are all the things we have to do. You're chained to this desk. What if I have to go pee? You are chained to the desk." <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that going to the bathroom is such a big deal in this too. Um, when uh, uh, she gets her lunch break, uh, which is fifteen minutes, what kind of slave industry is this emily blunt the one who's the senior assistant gets a 20 minute lunch you get 15 minutes and she gets called off for lunch uh, i also You've thought it would be at a uh, call center before have you colin <laughs> i have i have actually <laughs> it's like Man- manitoba labor law is very strict you get your full half an hour not a second less um but uh he, yeah 15 minute lunch where she spills corn chowder on her sweater uh, I thought that would be a bigger deal in this uh, movie too, where she comes up and just see this sloppy girl. One of the problems I have with this movie, uh, not to sound like the straight man on the episode here, but like I don't buy Anne Hathaway as the frumpy assistant. Like I was telling Jamie when watching this, like I don't think I've seen a more physically flawless human being in my life. And she's supposed to be the one being judged like, oh, she's ugly, she's fat. None of it makes sense. So I make a bigger deal about the fact that she's got corn chowder on. If she walks in, it's like, is that corn chowder on your shirt? It's like when we, we did Catwoman, it was like Halle Berry. Like, you don't believe it. You're like, okay. Yeah. It's like, I was thinking about this and it's kind of, I'm a big Miss Congeniality fan because who isn't? Um, and I think they do, <laughs> I think they do enough with Sandra Bullock for when you have the big reveal scene when she's all like, you know, glamorous, right? Like, you're like, wow, like your breath is taken away. Like, but yeah. they don't. I mean, I, I guess Sandra Bullock and Anne Hathaway are slightly different, but at the same time, like, it's believable. But I guess the difference with Sandra Bullock's character, she's more of the the agent, not just the frumpy, flat-shoe-wearing mm. person. Well, but, yeah. Uh, another thing, again, I haven't seen The Princess Diaries, or maybe Jamie made me watch it at one point, uh, but I'm familiar with the trailer. And in that movie, it's supposed to be Anne Hathaway, the really frumpy, ugly girl that gets a makeover. So maybe to avoid comparisons to that, they didn't go as far. But it doesn't really fit the character. Well, I was thinking, like, is this just all Anne Hathaway wanted in her early part of her movie? Like, I want to be the frumpy person who gets made beautiful. <laughs> yeah, typecast yeah, <laughs> a <exactly>. little bit. <laughs> uh, one of the really smart scenes in this, and, and in reading afterwards, this is one of the things the movie gets the most credit for, is uh, this meeting that they have where they're trying to put together the outfit for one of their shoots, and they hold up the two belts says, I don't know, they're so different. And Anne Hathaway just laughs. <laughs> and everybody just looks at her. Now, two things I really liked about this. One, the speech itself about this color cerulean uh, is absolutely brilliant. Like, it is a long monologue, and Meryl Streep nails it. And I'll mm-hmm. talk about Meryl Streep's performance in a second. But uh, the other part that I liked about this is that you could go into this movie and make it full-fledged formulaic, and it's all about judging the fashion people. Like, oh, these people are so self-centered. They think these belts are different colors. They actually, Meryl Streep's rant here basically goes on to make Anne Hathaway feel like a piece of garbage. Mm -hmm. She's like, you know, you may think that you're making some conscious choice to not be fashionable, but let me tell you the history. This color basically boils down to, 
this color never existed before. Somebody used this color in a uh, you know an article of clothing. It became a trend. Everybody started using that color of clothing. So that blue shirt you're wearing right now is a fashion trend. It's basically saying, you know what? We serve a purpose and we serve a purpose even for people who don't think about it. Now, where I have a bit of an issue with this is that Meryl Streep, reading some of her comments about this movie afterwards, she said she wanted to do this because she hated the fashion industry and fashion magazines uh, and for their way of manipulating people. But then I feel like she missed the point because this speech to me plays as let's defend this. Is it even though you may have all these judgments, maybe you don't understand it fully that everything does serve a purpose, no matter what it is. We talked about with Treed Murray last week, advertising executive. Okay, well, that serves a purpose. You know, mm. you need to advertise certain things. The Oz Network uh, but- serves a purpose. Let Undercover would be bored <laughs> without us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Noah would have a good reputation without us. He would be. Uh, Tanya Roberts would still be alive. <laughs> so, so would Roger Moore and Sean Connery. Let's be honest, <laughs> if it wasn't for us, 007 wouldn't exist and they would still be alive. I would be spending time with my children right now. <laughs> I might not have broken up from my first 17 fiancés. <laughs> but, but like, the speech itself is amazing. Um, this is kind of what uh, gets Anne Hathaway to... Uh, I guess it starts to beat her down with the job because the, the whole section of the movie here is just her getting dumped on it. And the next montage is the coat hanging montage. Just I'll call it, uh, which again, serves a purpose in this movie. It, it makes sense. Why it's not just a montage of, Oh, let's have somebody feeling sad. It's just showing that her job is essentially to hang the coat up to get people on the phone and to do all the menial tasks, like get lunch that Emily blunts too important for now. Uh, but I just love Meryl Streep throwing her coat down every single day. And that's going to become important later on. Uh, and uh, obviously she, it's showing how hard she's working. Uh, I'm guessing we're supposed to be a couple months into this job based on the amount of coat hanging she's done. And uh, she's trying to make small talk with Emily Blunt at the end of the day where she's, oh, I'm so glad it's the weekend and I'm not on call or anything. Uh, I'm going to see my dad and yeah, you know, we're going to go get dinner and this really nice restaurant. We think we'll go check out Chicago. Uh, you have any fun plans for the weekend? And Emily just looks at her and says, yes. <laughs> just completely <laughs> silent and ignores her. Again, similar uh, to the Oz Network. Colin's very chatty with me outside of recording. <laughs> oh, I'm going to do a marathon this weekend. The kids, what are you doing? Yes. <laughs> what are you doing? Yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I just want to comment a little bit on Emily Blunt here. I'm not saying she's not great in this movie, but again, I think I had expectations built up the same as the movie itself, that this was going to be something so earth shattering, her performance, because Emily Blunt got a ton of nominations. Uh, I mean, she got a Golden Globe nomination, but even when you look at like the the critics awards, like end of the year critics, she was like picked as best supporting actress on so many of these lists. She was almost on level with Meryl Streep's performance. And I know she was a complete unknown when she did this movie. It really put her on the map. I'm not saying that she's not great in this movie. She is great, but I was expecting that this would have been like, oh, her performance is so deep and it's so powerful and it's so entertaining. I'm like, she's good in the movie. Mm. She's she's very good. She's she's nothing you know to write home about. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, maybe it's just something that 15 years later, the, the expectations of what everybody talks about this movie, it just doesn't live up. Stanley to it. Tucci's better in this film. He is, yeah, yeah. He should Anne Hathaway is probably actress. better in this film. I mean, I feel Anne Hathaway doesn't really get a lot of credit for her role, and she's the the lead alongside Meryl, yeah. right? So, and well, again, I, not take away from Emily Blunt. She is great, but yeah, yeah. And 
I will say the best stuff that Emily Blunt does, though, is later in the movie when she starts getting beaten up. Uh, which, um, I, I love the the sweaty, snotty Emily Blunt as we've <laughs> learned so far. Uh, but she goes out for dinner with her dad, and um, he's judging her because she had a Stanford. She could have had a Stanford law degree, and instead she went into journalism. Yeah, <laughs> let's be that, honest. Man. This is movie number eight hundred and twelve that just shits all over my profession. Like you know, like. Where is the where are the positive journalism movies? Where's the post? Where's you know all these movies spotlight? Like there's like two all the president's men. You know, Superman returns. I don't know. That's yeah. positive journalism. <laughs> but here it is. Huh, you left law to go into journalism. Ugh, oh. spit on you. <laughs> uh, but uh, she's basically explaining that her reason for doing this is, which she explained earlier on the movie, is just to open doors. That you know. If you can get a, a good recommendation from having worked at Vogue or not Vogue, uh, Runway is the one they have in this movie, and working for um, what's Meryl Streep's character's name? Miranda. Miranda. Miranda, Miranda Frost. Miranda Frost. Yeah. <laughs> then uh, you you know it'll open doors. You can get any job you want. Um, in the middle of the conversation with the dad, Miranda's calling her. She had a canceled flight. Uh, I need to get back home. My twins are in some type of stage production or musical or something like that. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I need to I need to get there. You need to do everything you can. Shows are basically on the phone the entire time as her and her dad are trying to get in to see this play. Uh, every flight is canceled. I love when she's eventually Miranda calls her back. And she says, I don't know what the big deal is. It's just drizzling outside. And then you see the flash of lightning and trees <laughs> blowing over. Like, it's such a brilliantly timed shot. Uh, but in the end, she's obviously not able to uh, get her out of there. And uh, the reveal of this is what they don't show in this movie that I think makes it unformulaic. A formulaic movie would have her basically calling her up right away and saying, you didn't get me back. I'm going to make you pay. But instead, they just cut to the next day and Meryl Streep's talking as if yeah she made it work she, she somehow pulled off a miracle it's like oh it was a lovely recital uh i've heard that everybody enjoyed it so much except for me because i was the only one who didn't make it um and this is where she's saying like you know you're such a letdown everybody said that uh i shouldn't hire you but i thought let me give the smart fat girl a chance i love they refer to that i actually will say i think maybe even though this could have been played as she actually is the frumpy girl who gets a makeover because everybody else notices. So I, I definitely think that was their intention because her friends start to notice it. But I think that this actually would play as a better joke. If Anne Hathaway still is the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. And they're calling her the, the, the smart fat girl mm. when she's, you know, clearly not, uh, she basically loses it because Meryl Streep hates her. She goes down to tell Stanley Tucci, she wants to quit he says, you know, oh, all you do is whine. Uh, you, you, you don't try. And and he actually makes a good point. Again, this could have been, oh, he's manipulating her to be somebody she's not. Instead, she, he's saying, you know what? Why don't you try your job? Stop judging everybody else mm. because you're, you know, the, the smart college girl who wears hoodies and doesn't wear pants like Colin and Ben. Uh, and it basically... Uh, amounts to him giving her a makeover, the pick of all the clothes. No, well, Stanley Tupi's Tucci, Tucci, Stanley Tupi. Stanley Tupi. Well, <laughs> yeah, Love Nini and Tupi. Uh, <laughs> Stanley Tupi's job. Um, is he just supposed to be the guy who's in charge of the wardrobe for fashion shoots? Um, like, he designs the, he's clothes. He's the token male character, Colin. <laughs> the, the token gay male. <laughs> the token gay male character, yep. 
Yeah, I, he's basically got all this clothes at his disposal, which uh, I'll also have a problem with later on uh, once we get to the end of the movie. But um, he gives her a big makeover. and They just have the, the reveal of her coming in wearing what I think is a ridiculous outfit. Uh, but everybody's just jaws just drop as Anne Hathaway walks in. So she looks hot. Uh, Come on. She does. Well, she looked hot before, but yeah. she's still, still hot. <laughs> hot and so does Meryl Streep, by the way. So does Meryl Streep. So does Stanley Tucci. So, so does Simon, well, Simon Baker. Simon Baker. Whoa. Whoa. What a Goodness. man. What a Tasmanian. <laughs> That's what we all look like. The single most handsome and the only handsome Tasmanian I have ever seen. <laughs> Between myself, Simon Baker, and Errol Flynn, I think Simon Baker <laughs> takes the cake. Errol Flynn, second. Me, third. And then Noah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's from Snug. That's barely Tasmania. <laughs> uh, just before we, we uh, kind of move on, I give you a shot here. I just want to quickly comment on Meryl Streep's performance because, again, it's not what I expected. Uh Part of that I have a problem with that I think they really should have made her meaner in this movie. Because I told Jamie, I don't see her as mean. Uh, I see her as snarky, but she's not mean. But the way that she chose to play this, instead of being the yelling, screaming boss, which from what I understand in the book, it is more like that. Uh, apparently, the, the table read is the big story of this. That when they did the first table read before filming the movie, when Meryl Streep spoke the first time, everybody was caught off guard. Because like you could barely hear what she was saying. She was soft-spoken. She was mean, but soft-spoken. It's such an interesting choice to play a character like that because I feel like that character can be more intimidating. Um, it, it will hurt, I think, a little bit in the long run because you don't quite view her as the devil that a lot of people make her out to be. I kind of viewed her as being charming. Uh, to, to go along with that, well, I'll save my comment on that for a, a little later on. So We'll save some of the politics for later on. But uh, uh, apparently she decided to base this on Clint Eastwood because when she worked <laughs> with Clint Eastwood on... Um, what was that movie they did? The uh, the, the uh, that old people movie, the Bridges of Madison County. <laughs> old people. <movie. laughs> she basically said, like Clint Eastwood, like you meet him and you're on set with him. He talks so softly. He sounds like so nice, but like every the way he speaks, everybody stands at attention, and yet you have to, you know, cup your ear to hear what he's saying, and then that's what she wanted to kind of base on. But it's such an interesting choice, and I think that's kind of what makes the character is that she's soft spoken yet mean. I always like those soft-spoken villains and people like that that kind of play it, not how you, you know, just screaming and yelling. Like, it, you know, there's a level there. And I think a lot of it too, like, I'm I'm a big facial acting fan, clearly. And I, I, I love kind of just like, there's that scene when Emily Blunt, like, gives the shoes to Anne Hathaway. And she's like, I don't need these. Mm-hmm. So then she walks in the room and then all Meryl Streep does is like, do this look. She looks down at the shoes, yeah. looks up and turns around. And straight away, Anne Hathaway's like, shit, better put on these shoes. <laughs> like, just the way she does it. Um, and just, yeah, just like that famous line that was in the, the trailer where it was like, you know, oh, you're, you're from college or blah, blah, blah. Yes, yes, yes. You have no sense of style. You have no fashion. Nope. That wasn't a question. Uh- <laughs> uh, yeah. Not a question part. I forgot about that. Yeah. That what, it was always in the trailer. Um, so good with it. Um, yeah. A couple of things. I do like the opening montage when you see Anne Hathaway's, uh, newspaper articles that she's so proud of that she's put on black card. Um, now let's talk about the realism of journalism in this film, Colin. Um, <laughs> can't say I've ever put one of my published articles on a black piece of card. Maybe that's where I'm going wrong, perhaps. I don't know. But her headlines include, Garbage piles grow as negotiations crumble. Janitor's union won't budge. Okay, fair enough. Followed by, Which bus stops here? More choices than ever for young students. <laughs> uh, followed by, NU women take back the night. Hundreds march and share stories. Um... 
You're a better journalist than somebody in a movie, Ben. I know. Well, I also appreciate that every single one of her articles seems to be in exactly the same format, length, uh, <laughs> column width. I mean, very coincidental. I, I, I'm going to pull out some of my headlines from my career at some point for true facts uh, of, of articles that I've done. And yes, you do start writing like, Granny Rose grows 17th flower, proud of her achievements. Like, I've done them. Like, you know, I've got some great headlines out there. Local snug man makes racist comments. I, I did, like, at least two or three articles on Noah and Fatty Essa. No joke. <laughs> I will find them. I remember what, having... What do you write about Noah with? Well, so he's... When he went to London, he, like, technically his band were going to London to, like, a record studio, which I think <laughs> once produced Wonderwall by Oasis. So that was the hook, right? Like, <laughs> local band goes to London to record song in studio that Wonderwall was... I mean, that's a headline, right? Um... <laughs> much shorter than what I read there but I remember like I feel I was only in the job for like two weeks I was stretching for stories clearly um <laughs> and so like at that newspaper like we would have photographers so like generally the photographers would drive because you know they don't want to let some cadet drive and so we had to meet Noah because we I'd never been to his house before and like Snug is a shitty small town as it is but then there's like dirt roads that take you out the back into the bush and then Noah's dad lived like in freaking whoop whoop somewhere. So like we had to, we got lost. Me and the photographer got lost. So we had to call Noah, who was in this car with his fatty ass of bandmates. I'm like, I'll oh, just follow us. You know, eight hours later, driving back roads of snug on dirt trails, we get to like this shed. <laughs> yeah, this is where fatty ass performs. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like, I'm gonna be fired tomorrow. <laughs> and like, and at one point we drove down this road, and this guy comes up to the car and was like, "Oh yeah, where are you guys going?" And we're like, "Oh, number whatever." Oh yep, yeah, take left, turn that that way, right? Walks off. Later found out that was Noah's dad. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard so many stories about Noah's dad. You should be writing about Noah's dad. No, Noah's like, did you? So what was the guy look like? Oh, he had like long hair. Like, oh, yeah, it's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> It's like four people who live on this road, right? So, like, you know, one of them is bound to be his dad. Now, was um, Noah's dad uh, following you, uh, lurking in the bushes? <laughs> still is. Follow me to Canada and everything. Um, but, no, one day we'll share the joys of Ben's journalism career, of what he's written about, um, the highlights of his life. Um, I, 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 it's, it's interesting that, you know, she goes to this job, has no interest in fact. What does she say? Like, it's either here or Auto Weekly or something like that. Yeah. What's wrong with Auto Weekly? <laughs> yeah. I'd work for Auto Weekly, um, <laughs> you know, but it's kind of interesting. Like, she's so judgmental. <laughs> the thing that annoys me about, like, this movie, some of the criticism that it gets, like, in terms of from, like, I guess the feminine angle, right? Because, like, all the women love this movie. This is, like, the, the girl, the flick. The, the the one character that gets the criticism in this movie, the one that everybody hates and thinks is a sexist character, is Adrienne Grenier, right? They think that oh. her boyfriend is the one that holds her back because he complains that she's changed and he complains that she didn't show up to his birthday and he complains that she's not following her career. Let's stand this out right now. She is not following her career. She's taking this job... For mm-hmm. money. They literally have a scene where they cheese each other for taking jobs for paying the bills. That is yeah. exactly what she's doing. She does completely change as a human being, which is also pointed out by her other friend, the one who has the art gallery, right? Like, it's not even Adrian Grenier who does this. Mm-hmm. 
He doesn't complain about the birthday. He's basically he does cool the opposite. With it. Yeah, he's yeah. He, like, he says that she says, I, "I think, oh, is this all because I didn't show up to your birthday?" He goes, "What am I for? I don't care if you show up for my birthday." Exactly. Like, what does he do wrong? And let's be honest, Anne Hathaway is Ross from Ross and Rachel in Friends because they have a break. They don't break up, which yeah. she says in Paris. She fucks Simon Baker. And then at the end of this movie, when he's all like, hey, let's move to Boston together. Okay. She takes a fucking job in New York, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I'm still, I'm, I don't know about the ending. We'll get to that. But, like, why are people so down on Adrian Grenier? He's, like, the nicest, well, coolest boyfriend in the world. But, like, here's the thing. I watched this movie, and I told Jamie, this might be the most boring boyfriend in the history of chick flicks. Yeah. And that, that's, that's kind of going along with your point. The reason he's boring is because he is so nice. Yeah. He doesn't say that even when he should be upset, he's clearly upset. He's upset with good reason, but he's like, you know what? Do whatever you want. I don't want to hold you back. He's the exact opposite of everything you described. And that makes him boring in this movie. And that's what I was reading a whole bunch of like, there's videos on YouTube about saying why this guy's the worst. And like all these people are like, he's sexist because he's holding a strong woman back, wanting to pursue a career. This isn't the career she wants. Like she's not strong. She's not. She's the opposite of strong. She wants to quit five minutes into this movie. (laughs) She's given her strength as a woman by somebody saying, I want you to conform to all the self-centered people around you and at the end of this movie she stands up for her right to go pursue the career she wants to by like the line where Meryl Streep's like anybody wants this people would kill she's like no my friends are right and she goes and like does what like how people can complain that this is an anti-empowerment character like literally the exact opposite of that yeah and like again I've never seen Entourage I don't know if I've seen Adrian Grenier and anything else I like I don't know if they make him look a bit like like you're right he's a boring guy but like He's kind of like the cool, quirky guy that, you know, just... And I get it, the parallel, like, he's Simon Baker. He's so gorgeous and dreamy. And I always thought that Simon Baker was a lot more of a prick than he is. And I'm going to defend Simon Baker yeah. in this movie. He's not a prick. Like, he's kind of made out to be the yeah. villain of this movie. He's not. He doesn't do anything wrong. Um, mm-hmm. That's where it's kind of weird, this movie, where it's, you know... like And, like, again, I get it. This is a... It's a thing in a lot of chick flicks, which maybe men don't get it's like women are always going to have that more like dreamy guy where it's like oh he ticks all the boxes like you know that's whereas men we kind of don't work that way we don't really watch you know a james bond movie and go like oh miranda frost she's so dreamy i could like hang out with her on the weekend and watch the game like no we're like where she's hot i I want to fuck her um, oh, yeah. <laughs> that too. She can watch the game afterwards. Before Halle Berry comes over, because I'm a guy, she's watching, I'm a prick. Come on, if she's watching the hockey game, that makes her more bangable. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think people know the point, right? Like, it's it's we we look at things differently. So I understand that the angle they go for in this film. Yeah. But saying it now, Adrian Grenier, not a prick. He's a nice yeah. guy. Doesn't do anything wrong. Um. But, like, again, this goes back to my point where I was saying, like, we've all had jobs, right? You all start on day one. You're all at the bottom, unless you're, like, hired as... I mean, Joe Biden doesn't rock up into the White House and then, like, some guy's been in the White House for 30 years. Joe, go get me a coffee. Go get me my lunch. (laughs) Like, maybe the President of the United States may be the only job when you show up. You're the boss, right? Like, Mm. um, but, like, we've all been in this situation and, like, there's bits here which, like, you really feel like all of a sudden when Anne Hathaway's been made to answer the phone 
And like you, you're like you're at day one of a job where all of a sudden someone throws you in the deep end and you're, you haven't been told what to do. And you're like, um, uh, fuck, what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> I love it when she's on the phone and she's like, okay, yep. And how do you spell Gabbana? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's me. It's so many jobs. Like, how, like I'm in Canada. And, and Trudeau, Justin, that is um, Gretzky. And what does he do? <laughs> <laughs> How do you spell Canada? Yeah, I was no word of a lie. Like I was in when I was at my one of my newspapers in New Zealand. It came like I don't know something came in like a press release, blah blah blah, and they're all like, "This person's coming to Invercargill today." I'm like, "Okay, cool," and got my meeting with my editor, and she's like, "Ben, you know, go to this meeting with John Smith." Like you know, blah blah blah. And I'm like, "Okay, cool. Who's John Smith?" Literally, everyone like, "What? What? How do you Ben?" And I'm like, "I fucking just like what?" And and they started like literally scoffing at me like. And I'm like, hi, Australian, been in the country for like two months. Is this guy like fucking sheep better than everyone else? Like fucking tell me who this guy is. And he was like some New Zealand scientist who apparently like, I don't know, did something good. So New Zealand love him. Um, so, but I don't know. Cured COVID. Yeah, like he invented COVID. I don't, in a year's time, Ben, you'll know who this guy is. Um, one thing I'll say though too, like why does Anne Hathaway take this job? Like if I go into a an interview and I've literally got a person saying this shit to me. I'm not returning. I, I have mm-hmm. been, I, to stand out, I once went into an interview where basically the guy told me I was too fat to work there, but they would think about me. <laughs> I just, I've had two interviews that said that. It was, it was like I was really young and it was like a kitchen hand job. And I didn't want that job, but I wanted money. And they were basically like he looked at me and he was like, this job requires a lot of physical strength and a lot of, you know, you've got to be very, like, active. And I don't know if you'd be suited to that. And then, like, I think I had another job when I was going for – it was at a go-kart track in Queensland. Again, I needed a job. And the guy basically was like, oh, we only really hire really fit people for this job, so we don't know if you'd be suited. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And then I remember I also went for a job once. Um, I was going for the job of a receptionist. Okay. Stereotypically not a job for men. And I was basically told I didn't get the job because I was a man. I was told if you were a woman, you would have gotten this job. Double it, standard. Could I complain about that? No, of course I'm not. I'm a man, but men don't get discriminated against. Of course we don't. Um, <laughs> Only if they're fat. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. If you're fat, it's fine. But like she, like the way she's told, like if I'm told that openly in an interview, I don't want that job. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But well, it. It makes it so that you can't really feel bad for her later on when she's like, oh, she's so mean. Yeah. You knew that before you took the job. And again, she's like, doesn't one of the characters say, like, you're taking the Kool-Aid? She is taking the Kool-Aid because all of a sudden she's changing her appearance, she's doing this, she's doing that. Again, a point why, like, Adrian Granny is not the bad guy because he's, if you make him a character as if, you know, go a bit more on the angle, okay, fine, you can maybe see it, but... It's like we talked, we, every movie we do this, right? Like Billy Zane, not a bad guy in Titanic, yeah. you know, okay, don't slap a woman. That's bad. But everything else outside of the slapping the woman <laughs> thing, he's doing nothing wrong. James Marsden in the notebook is like the guy she should be with. Like, it's just, ugh. Anyway, um, also, can we point out, this movie doesn't hold up in 2021. Within a day, Anne Hathaway is going to Human Resources. Meryl Streep is getting fired. Yeah. Uh, toxic work environment. Like, let's be honest. This is the Ellen show. This is what it's the Ellen, Ellen show is. biopic. <laughs> but, but now in 2021, because you can't do it. Like in 2006, everyone was loving working with Ellen. But now, mm-hmm. no, bad human resources. <laughs> tisk tisk. So I, hashtag, I'm with Ellen. Stand with Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> she 
doing nothing wrong. Meryl Streep will play <laughs> Ellen in a movie and things will be forgiven. Um, but seriously, like none of this would work in 2021. She's been bullied. She's been fat shamed. She's basically been like worked off her ass. She's a millennial. She's crying about it. She's taking a mental health day. Um, and she's going onto Twitter and like fucking starting a trend. Um, hello to all our victims of stuff in 2021 listening to the show. <laughs> sorry that your We're bagel sorry. was burnt and you have to take a mental health day. Um, speaking of which, my bagel was burnt this morning. Colin, I want to take a mental health day. Um, yeah, but like I love all kind of this setup when she's like meeting people. Um, the, yeah, the sweater talk um, when she does the belt thing, so good. Um and yeah the whole the 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 flight sequence about getting the plane like I there's two bits I like in this movie I like this and I like the Harry Potter one later on where it's like I want mm. the um unpublished manuscript of Harry Potter and it's like, what and it's like that's impossible but yeah and character development right she couldn't get a what is the bit where she says to her dad where he's like what does she expect you to call the national guard and fly her in like from the military she's like can I wait do that? can I do that. <laughs> But, like, again, I'm sorry. As a journalist, I'm offended. I'm taking a mental health day. I'm offended watching this movie. Like, oh, you left law to become a journalist. Fuck you, dad of Anne Hathaway in this movie. Hashtag Ben 2. What, why and why is it a thing in movies and TV shows that everyone leaves law to do something? Like, why is yeah. law the designated... Prof- like, Blue Bloods, Third Watch, both have a cop who left Harvard Law to become a cop and they're looked down upon. Like, why is law because- the utmost profession yet in other movies lawyers are pricks well i think it's because you know people people don't like lawyers so you you will accept a person leaving law but 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 they're always treated like you're bad because you left like why can't they leave medical school well is is maybe medical schools just the skills aren't uh transferable as easily as law whereas you studied law you can do anything. I mean, you could you could operate go-karts if you studied law. <laughs> I, I want in 30 years time to have a movie. You left podcasting to be a lawyer? Yeah. <laughs> you left podcasting to run for president of the United States? Oh. That was that was your safety net. Yeah. Like come on. Like follow your dreams, kids. <laughs> um we get yeah, the Madonna song Jump is played at one point here. Vogue is played around here at some point as well. I think that's the montage, isn't it? When like her yeah. outfit gets, that's a cool montage. Like I like when the car drives past and she's in a different outfit. She walks past a pole, different outfit. I might have jumped ahead there slightly for you. But um yeah, I mean the one thing you say about this movie, well paced. Goes by quickly, you're never bored, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's a it's not too long, it's not too short. That's what Jamie likes to judge her movies <laughs> by. Who told? Uh, <laughs> I was watching her in the shower Anyways. the other night, remember? <laughs> so she goes out to dinner with her very supportive boyfriend very and friends. Very supportive boyfriend and the, friends. The friends are... I, I, I do like uh, the one friend here, uh, the, the guy who's so into fashion, uh, which the actually <laughs> some. Well, this this guy's actually in uh, in Mad Men. Uh, so uh, I recognize him immediately. I'm like, I know him. He's on Mad Men. Very different character, though. Uh, but I mean, he's the only one who's like, should he be the bad guy? Because he's the only one encouraging her to lead this self-centered uh, capitalist life he's where she's not fun. following her dream. I, I, I uh, like all of fun. the friends. I think all of the friends kind of just, I want to see a movie well, on those guys. 
I, I want to comment on the the, the friend uh, who takes all the the takes the purse and all the stuff. I, I do love the moment where uh, she's like, "No, I can't take this bag." As she's stuffing all the other gifts into it, there's no way I could take this bag. And she's continuing to stuff stuff in there. But even like uh, the way she drops that line, like, "This is a Mark Jacobs blah 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 sold out in minutes. It's brand new release." Like, wow. Okay, um, that's fashion. Yeah, well. <laughs> apparently Anne Hathaway's the only one in this movie who's not into fashion because her friends are all about this. Yeah. That um, bag's ugly, by the way. If that's sold out, why? Okay. Is, is Mallory a purse person? Yes. Okay. Jamie is not, well, I'm not going to say that. Jamie, I don't think I've ever known her to buy a purse, but her mom buys so many purses that um, I was cleaning out our basement uh, a couple of days ago and I found a box that was filled with purses. Now, this is on top of the box full of purses Jamie already has. <laughs> and I'm like, Jamie, this has been here for almost two years that we've been in this house. I'm guessing you don't need any of these. I'm going to put them in a garbage bag together. You can go through that garbage bag and anything you want to keep, put it somewhere else. Otherwise, this garbage bag is now garbage because that's how much purses she has. I don't understand it at all. I mean, well, and it, it bothers me in the, the 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 montage where Meryl Streep is putting, because she's putting her purse and her jacket down every single day. And I'm like, every single day, I've seen the inside of Jamie's purse, whatever purse she has that week. I mean, something could be dead in there and you wouldn't know for a year and yeah. a half. Does Meryl Streep empty all the contents out of her purse daily to put them in a new purse? Well, she must. I mean, Mar- Mar- okay, what I say with purses, like she... She isn't, she isn't like she generally just carries a bag. But when we recently were doing like wedding shopping, we went to a store and they had like a purse on sale. We call them handbags in Australia, by the way. It feels weird calling it a purse because a purse to us is a female wallet. But anyway, um, and so she got this thing and now she loves it. She takes it everywhere. Um, shoes are her thing. Like she, you know, weirdly on shoes. My mum loved like handbag purses like all the time. And she would, she would like after a week, oh, I don't want this one anymore. Empty everything out, put something into a new one. Like it, you know, but yeah. That takes dedication. <laughs> it does. But it's it's funny because, like, um, one thing actually I noticed in this movie, I, I, I'm just watching the scene where she's, like, sitting there out with a friend and she's on her phone. Mallory is that. Like, Mallory will go places and just be on a phone more than I am. And so, like, she'll come home from her job and she'll just sit down on the couch straight away and she's still replying to messages from, like, work. And so I'm, like, trying to talk to her. Huh, what? And she, like, you know, does that. And, like, so many times in this movie, I literally say to Mallory, like, this movie feels familiar. Like, always going to work. <laughs> life controlled by work. And there's that line later on where they say, like, the person you take the calls from all the time is who you're in a relationship with. I was oh, like, yeah. ah. And I'm like, no, don't say it. Oh, <laughs> uh, wait, Ben. Uh, are you spending more time with me or Mallory lately? <laughs> well, who did I write my vows to in our uh Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, when you do work with a person, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say that too. You spend more time with the people you work with than you do your family. Mm. You may live at home more, but you're asleep for, you know, in Ben's case, eight hours of that time. In my case, four hours of that time. But I mean, if I'm at work for eight and a half hours a day, by the time I get home, there's maybe four hours until everybody's going to bed. I've spent twice as much time with my coworkers as I have my own family. Well, the, the difference is, I think, too, yeah, like you're right. Um, the difference is Mallory is a nice person. Mallory literally can meet like Hitler and be best friends with him in five minutes, right? Like, <laughs> also, by the way, 9-11, she'd meet a Samuel. I'm just ticking off the references. Um, that, that, that explains why she's on such good terms with Noah. Exactly, exactly. Well, and Noah's on, <laughs> well we know why Noah's on good terms with Mallory. Um, but, like, Mallory is literally the person that can be friends with him when she's sociable she makes friends in a heartbeat and she's always like socializing i've had one job that i can remember where i legitimately made good friends that i still talk to today like 
Mm. Well, maybe another yeah, job. Yeah, same I was here. At, I was at another job where I took, you know, but like I'm the type of person that I just, I just go to work. Okay, I'm done. Come home. I don't want to fucking deal with that shit. Like, and yeah. I'm a journalist. Like, shit happens. I get called at nine o'clock. Ben, a plane's crashed. Sorry, going to bed. <laughs> um, like, I'm not the person who's living off things like that, right? Um, but but that's where like it becomes diff- like we're different people. Like, I'm at home. I'm relaxing. Mallory's like, lol. I delivered this bread today. How hard was that? And like, I'm just like, dude, fucking watch something. Like, take your mind off it. <laughs> She's just socializing with everyone and it's but yeah her thing would be like but i see you every night we sleep in the same bed it's like we're asleep you come home you get yeah, exactly. your kids, have dinner maybe a bit of cuddle hint hint and then go to sleep that's all i see you <laughs> that's yeah. what when I, when I am home you know jamie jamie i don't know if she's really uh you know messaging a lot of people but she's like scrolling through instagram scrolling through facebook Shirtless man, yeah. Uh, chatting with Keanu and uh, Henry Cavill and all those guys. Uh, Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Simon Baker. But, Simon Baker. But um, w- when I do get home, like, I-, I basically at one point told him, like, can we just put the phone away come, like, 6, 7 o'clock or whatever? Because I'm like, in the last hour I've been home, you have spent more time communicating with those people than you have. Well, have a conversation with me then, Colin. I'm like, I'm not, what am I going to have a conversation with? What are you asking that person? What are you guys talking about on your phone there? Yeah. I'm like, but that's the thing. They say that. And it's like, well, I'm trying to. I've said like 18 things to you and you've literally looked at me. Like, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and then on the um, days off, this is just Ben and Colin vent out their frustrations at married life. <laughs> On like finally when you get a day off together, like literally today, record we're, we're recording today. I have to go to the dentist this afternoon. Yay. And like with that, I think we were meant to be going shopping. She rings me before I start recording. Is it okay if my mum comes? And I'm like, so the I, dentist? I, well, no, so she, we're picking a mum up. She's dropping me off at the dentist. Costco's near the dentist. Well, mum needs to go to Costco. So they're going to go there. And it's like, well, aren't we doing this after? Like, no, it's fine. Mum will do this. Mum will come. I'm like, okay, cool. Guess we're not hanging out today. Your mum's coming. Woo. Oh, the, the, okay. That was totally become rant time and by the way <laughs> we have we have valid points here we're not criticizing we're just simply saying hey this is life that yeah. our entire point is everybody does this but we're being meaner than adrian grenier is in this movie <laughs> we should be in 10 years time people saying we're holding our wives back exactly yeah, exactly but uh the funny thing we have um so little time because again three kids one of which is casper uh, you don't really have time for anything uh <laughs> so nemo but yeah 3 this morning i get startled awake as the light in our bedroom comes on and casper goes, finding nemo <laughs> no no it'd be funnier if he had walked in the room and gone the peter nawongo <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's gone to bed. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, he totally would. <laughs> I'm going to teach him that. I've taught him a couple of like uh, uh, little catchphrases and things that like I find funny. <laughs> That's going to be my next one. La Pita de Mongo! But uh, anyway, so we get very little time away from the kids. We put the twins to bed usually about 7 o'clock. We put Casper to bed about 7.30. It takes them like half an hour, maybe in Casper's case, an hour before they actually stop making noise and fall asleep. We're wiped out by 9 o'clock anyways. So we might have, uh, having, especially with twins and Casper, I mean, I would tell people, I'm like, uh, I remember one time I was talking to Jamie on my lunch at work. I called her on the phone and somebody said, yeah, you know what? Like, if I'm on my lunch, I'm not calling my wife. I'm like, I'll save that for home. I'm taking that time and just tuning out. I'm like, yeah, but you know what the difference is? I'm like, we legitimately get 20 minutes of time together at the end of the day. That's all we have where it's not, mm. oh, do this with the kids. You take this kid, watch this kid, we do this. 
So we have uh, um, uh, Jamie's parents who came over to uh, watch the kids. They'll do it on Friday nights. So they'll watch them. And our date night, because we can't go anywhere, is go upstairs and watch a movie. Uh, yeah, watch a movie. <laughs> well, you know, in my case, that's what I'm doing. Jamie's yeah. propositioning. Jamie's naked. <laughs> she's got the oils, yeah. the candles. She's putting on some Barry White. And you're like, shh, 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 shh. Miranda <laughs> Priestley's doing a speech about sweaters. <laughs> it's like, Colin, wouldn't you rather watch sweaty Emily Blunt and dirty, <laughs> filthy Sicario? <laughs> she, fl- she flicks over. She's got one of those multi-track DVD players. And all of a sudden, yeah. oh, look, Keanu Reeves shirtless is on. Do me. <laughs> You're in the way of the TV, Colin. Move out of the way. Let's try a different position. I can't see the TV. Uh, but anyways, we get her parents come and babysit and they'll get here like six o'clock and you know, they're gone by the time the kids go to bed. The entire idea is they get here at six. If we watch a movie, the kids are in bed. You know, we didn't have to watch them. We didn't have to put them to bed. As soon as the kids are in bed, we come downstairs. The parents go home. There was one time where uh, she was chatting with her parents for like an hour down there and I'm upstairs waiting. And eventually she gets up there. I'm like, why are we paying them? Because we're paying them <laughs> to watch our kids so you can socialize with them. I'm up here by myself. <laughs> well, that happened the other Anyways. day. It was like a thing where, like, Valerie calls. She's like, I finished work. I've just got to quickly call into the bank and I'll grab your coffee. And I'm like, okay, cool. See you soon. An hour and a half has gone by. And I'm like, <laughs> is she dead? Like, what's happening? I don't want to be that guy who's like, where are you? But it's been an hour and a half. So I ring and her friend Andrea answers the phone and I'm like, oh, she went and saw Andrea. That's why she's like an hour and a half. So then Mel is like, oh, I'm just leaving now. I'll be like 10 minutes. I'm like, yeah, I'll see you in two hours. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I've had this happen so many times. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and again, we love our wives. Like this is, yeah. get them on. I can't imagine the stuff they'd say about us. Like, oh, Jesus, yeah, exactly. Worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's everybody has the exact same experience. So that's what we're discovering here, yeah. including Adrian Grenier, who's much nicer than everybody what else. What a man. What a man. <laughs> boring, but what a man. <laughs> nothing wrong um, with boring. Nothing wrong at all. We're boring. We are very boring. <laughs> we're incredibly boring. boring. Yeah, we're doing uh, podcasts just ask- and the devil wears Prada. I mean, that doesn't scream <laughs> excitement. Just ask our wives. <laughs> Imagine if we were on Tinder, right? You know, what would their profile be? Just podcast, devil wears Prada. Actually, we might get some girls interested in that. So just yeah, podcast, well- Treed Murray. Oh, swipe left. <laughs> Well, point break next week. Swipe right. <laughs> yeah, true. Anyways, so yeah, she gives out all the presents at dinner. Um, so now we start to uh, uh, get into a lot more of the work politics stuff. This is uh, the, the margin call stuff that uh, I like so much as they're talking about what a preview is. So this mm-hmm. is where we learn about fashion and we get introduced to these, uh, this fashion designer guy um and i recognize this yeah, guy but me I, too. I thought i recognized him for something more the only thing i could really find that i've seen he was in the dark knight rises i don't remember who he was in there but he had a short-lived tv show called notorious a few years ago mm. uh, and that's the only thing that i'm like maybe i saw he was in an episode of the twilight zone recently so maybe that's what it was uh really good episode of the twilight David zone sunjata sunjata um, yeah, he was in most well known for Rescue Me. Yeah, I was gonna say Rescue Me. I'm looking here, like he does look familiar. Thirty Rock, maybe the only thing I would have seen him in. Um, using Grey's Anatomy, yeah, I don't know who he's in. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, his character, you know, I'm gonna say a little bit underdeveloped in this movie because he is very pivotal to the story, and we really learn nothing about him. Um, but uh, he's, I guess, a designer, and they're saying, okay, well, these designers, they're 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 
you know, their bread and butter is getting their collections featured in magazines. So uh, this is how you read the body language of Miranda there. You know, if she gives a nod, she's very happy. She gives two nods. Also something that I thought would have come up at the end of the movie when they have, in my opinion, the butchered ending uh, mm. where I think that we should have had her giving like the two nods or something like that. And one of these body language things, but instead it doesn't happen. Um, so they, they eventually say, okay, well, the, the final thing is if she purses her lips, that just means it's a complete disaster. And this is all being intercut with her viewing this Holt, this guy, uh, his, his collection and pursing her lips at the end. And it's just nail in the coffin. Uh, as this is all happening, um, they uh, pass along the first duty. This is where the hierarchy uh, comes up. Emily Blunt, her job is to deliver the book, uh, which I don't, I don't even know if I paid attention to what the book is, but this is something that's done nightly, five days a week. It's the mock-up where basically this is what the magazine's going to look like, which, I mean, having worked in journalism, you do have mock-ups. I've mainly worked for daily newspapers. I mean, now when I work for a weekly newspaper, it's all online. Um, but I guess I've never really worked full-time for a magazine, so I'm sure this is somewhat accurate. But did they not say in this movie that it's something they do daily? Yeah, because I think it's like it's probably a five-day week. Like, we've changed this today and we've changed that. Because, I mean... If this is based on Vogue, I don't know if you've ever... Of course, you haven't picked up a copy of Vogue, but, like, Vogue's a thick, <laughs> Do bloody magazine. Do I look magazine. like somebody who has? <laughs> Vogue's, like, you know, this thick. It's, a, you know, a lot of stuff goes into it. And, like, I think, you know, a monthly deadline sounds like a long time, but, I mean, you're forward planning, you're doing things, there's ads and everything. Yeah. It's like... Oh, I can imagine. But, yeah, so there's but, a lot but, of movable parts in it. This is where I have a bit of an issue here. Because what I think is implausible is the timeline of this. Because Emily Blunt's explaining, okay, this is what happens. The book gets delivered somewhere between 10 and 10.30 to your desk. You wait at the office until 10 or 10.30. Then you drive down to Miranda's house. You use this key to let yourself in. Now, it's the fact she does this five days a week. So are we to believe that Emily Blunt shows up at work, let's say it's even nine in the morning, and works until 11, 11.30 at night by the time she gets home five days a week? It seems implausible that she has to wait at the office every single night to do this, and it's always her. But isn't that the point, showing that this job is like a pain in the ass because you're made to work such, like, long hours and be a slave? Isn't that well, kind of I, I, Yeah, but I would also think this leaves her no time to do anything. Where does she buy her groceries? Because she's glued. she said earlier on, you're glued to your desk. You don't go to the bathroom. That's first thing in the morning. But as soon York, as your city's always open. So well, you, maybe, you can buy groceries at midnight in New York. It's just <laughs> it's not like ridiculous. These close at like three in the afternoon. <laughs> it's just to me, it seems like ridiculous hours. But the sequence is great. As again, I love the way they intercut back and forth. This is what you're going to do. You're going to let yourself in as Emily Blunt's narrating what she's going to do. They're showing her do it, and then they get to the part where it's like you're going to leave the book on the table with flowers. And she walks in, and there are about a dozen tables of flowers, <laughs> and she's just panicking the whole time. We get introduced to the twins for the first time. Uh, who are just messing. It's okay. Bring the book up to us. And then Emily Blunt, of course, saying, you're not allowed to speak to anybody there. Don't oh, open your mouth. Don't say a word. And Anne Hathaway's miming, I can't talk to you. <laughs> yeah. uh, apparently this scene was mostly improvised, which I actually really appreciate Anne Hathaway even more knowing that mm. this is probably the funniest scene in the movie. And she made it up just, you know, on the spot. Uh, but eventually she does bring this up the stairs. She gets up the stairs just in time for Meryl Streep to uh, uh, be having an argument with her husband. And we, we get a glimpse inside, oh, she doesn't have a happy life. 
And Meryl Streep turning around after her husband says something very personal and seeing her subordinate crouching down at the top of the stairs, just such a great visual. And then she just leaves the book on the top of the stairs, uh, goes into work the next day, realizes that she's done some terrible. Emily Blunt immediately, just the way she grabs her is great. <laughs> she's like, come here, come here, don't look at anybody. Yeah. What did you do? Uh, she doesn't even say what she did. Says, is she mad? <laughs> like, <laughs> would you be mad? Um, <laughs> Emily Blunt's explanation. Why didn't she just climb into bed with her and ask her to read you a bedtime story? <laughs> Um, what is, but, Anne Hathaway says something like that later on, doesn't she, with Stanley Tucci, where it's like, what did Miranda say? It's like, yes, and we talked about it once we braided each other's hair and talked about <laughs> <laughs> I missed that. Uh, but uh, I, I love, the, the again, the opposite reaction. This is why I think Meryl Streep's character works so well, because you expect her to do one thing, and instead she goes in and she's perfectly nice to her. Mm. I need you to go down to the bookstore. Or I don't even think she says bookstore. I need you to go down and get a copy of the new Harry Potter book for my kids. And she's like, oh, okay. Uh, wait, is there a new Harry Potter book? It's like, no. <laughs> I need the unpublished manuscript. They want to read it before it comes out. Uh, basically, she's giving the impossible task. Now, you've seen the Jack move, but this is what I imagine to be the female. Again, drawing parallels, male movies, female movies. John Wick was given an impossible task, uh, which... Uh, is you know the legend of what John Wick uh, did before the movie started. This is Anne Hathaway's impossible task, her John Wick move, uh, and, and she also says she has to get her like some type of steak lunch or whatever. So in between Which, Anne Hathaway oh, calling, sorry, wasted steak. You're oh, upset that about makes that? me sad. That movie that makes me cry. That scene. <sighs> you know, it's like the Ferraris he, he, leaving a plane and die another day. It just makes me cry. People are gonna hate me for this. Uh -oh. I, I, everybody does hate me. I'm hanging but up. I am I am not a steak guy at all. Oh. I have no problem with steak. But if you were to give me a choice of protein, steak is my last choice every time. I, I Look, I didn't become a steak guy until I started doing keto because, like, basically when you're keto and you go out, pretty much you can eat steak or salad. Um, so hmm. I started becoming a steak guy. Do you have um, the restaurant Montana's in Winnipeg? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've been there once. I did not order steak. I ordered well, salmon. <laughs> it's almost become like a, a a weekly thing. If we go to Montana, it's like we love it. And there's this one steak that I get there um, and you get like blue cheese and bacon on top of it with a Caesar salad. And it's like, oh, it's so good. Um, and so, yeah, I've become a real steak guy. I've basically become a man since I've become on keto. Because I'm the guy, like, I love chicken. So, like, every time I go to a restaurant, like, I would get a chicken dish. And mm -hmm. when in Australia, it's like it's traditional if you go out for a pub meal, you get a chicken palmy. You get palmy with fries. Like, it's just a chicken schnitzel with, like, good stuff on top and fries. That's all you get. My dad will get a steak or he'd get surf and turf. Um, but here I am, Ben, president of the middle-aged gay men's club, getting <laughs> chicken palm. Chicken. Now I'm getting steak, so. Yeah, man. Watching Devil Wears Prada. Yeah. Uh, and, again, I have no problem with steak if, if we have it. I'll eat it. I'll, I'll, I'll be fine with it. But to me, steak is the Adrian Grenier of proteins. <laughs> it's, it's just boring. <laughs> Every time I eat a steak now, I'm just going, oh, hey, Adrian. How you doing? <laughs> Adrian. <laughs> but by the way, the salmon from Montana is amazing. Uh, and that's very keto. I had the Canadian burger A when I was off keto. That was pretty good. Good good sweet potato fries at Montana. Go to Montana's. Oz Network, proudly sponsored by Montana's. Great, great venue. Uh, anyways, I, I love in the middle of her trying to find this book. She delivers the steak. Ew, what's that? No, I'm going out for lunch. And Anne Hathaway just completely loses it, throws the steak away. That's what made you so sad, right? Oh, just eat it. <laughs> just eat it, okay? 
Um, uh, anyways, she's very unsuccessful trying to track down this manuscript. She's being laughed at. Eventually, she calls Simon Baker, which I should have mentioned she did meet uh, at that uh, first fashion show. Uh, now, I have a bit of a problem with Simon Baker's character. I'm also going to say he's a little bit boring because to me, I'm watching this movie thinking, okay, I know the idea is, is that one of these guys is supposed to be the good guy in the end and one of these guys is supposed to be the bad guy, but there's nothing wrong with either of them. Uh, now he's Simon Baker, so he makes everything right now. You, you really, you really do have to see margin call Simon Baker in that movie is so electric. Uh, he plays like, uh, a, a boss. They even comment. It's like, he looks like he's 12 years old. How is he the big boss? But like, he is scary and charming at the same time. That's a guy that could do anything. I mean, Simon Baker, what a man. He's, Whew. I mean, what, absolutely. And he's, he's so interesting to me that this is a guy that doesn't get, when you talk about famous Tasmanians, I swear everyone always forgets about Simon Baker. I didn't know he was Tasmanian until, I don't know, 10 mm. years ago. Um, there's, there's another, um, I, we've talked about this before, there is another semi-famous Australian actress who's also Tasmanian, I can't remember which one. But the problem I think it is from Simon Baker, he's from Launceston, like, you know. <laughs> Might but, as well be snug. Yeah, yeah. But, um, no, it's, I mean... I remember when he became a big deal because it wasn't even the mentalist like that took him, but he did, was it the guardian he did? Guardian. Um, yeah. And I remember that kind of took off for a little bit in Australia because that was also the, the two thousands thing. Like when all these Australian actors started making a big, even when they were on TV, it was a big deal. Like Julian McMahon and Nip Tuck got a lot of press. Um, uh, Anthony LaPaglia and without a trace was probably the biggest one. Oh, yeah. um, Poppy Montgomery. Poppy Montgomery. Was, yeah, was she also in that? Um, yeah. And she went on to be in that stupid show with Dylan Walsh from Nip Tuck. Um, yeah, Unforgettable. From, yeah, which was very uh, the, the, the <laughs> ironic, that but, title, wasn't it? Um, but but what a woman! <laughs> Simon Baker sort of, you know, became a, a big thing all of a sudden too. So, no, he's he, what a man. Simon Baker. Yeah. We're going to get him on the podcast. We're going to get Simon Baker. I'm going to play the Tasmanian card. Because <laughs> he was in LA Confidential, I'm seeing here. I didn't realize that. There you go. Yeah, he. Uh, well, I think he was. Um, he's the guy who. Uh, he he. Uh, he's not a male prostitute. He's an actor who gets put in a compromising situation as a male prostitute, and they blackmail him for his career in that. Well, I'll also quickly add for those playing Australian actor Bingo, wanting to know which <laughs> random Australian shows Simon Baker appeared in, Home and Away. Uh, he was also in Heartbreak <laughs> High. A country practice. So three iconic Australian television shows, uh, which clearly are the you know bread and butter of Australian actors. You've got to start off in one of them. So there you go. Now, I don't even know what his job's supposed to be in the publishing industry here, though, he's where editor, he comes he? through for her. But he's an editor for what? He, well, he's a, free, he's a freelance journalist who clearly is big enough that random <laughs> interns know who they are. Um, mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, I, I don't know. He's just a big wig editor slash thing. But like, just I'm gonna jump in really quickly because I forget to say this. Like, I'm with you mm. that like both of these guys. You kind of got that, you know. Oh, which way are you gonna go? And like, I always like rewatching it this time. I'm like, Simon Baker. He's a real prick. Like, doesn't he sleep with her and basically tell her to fuck off or something like that? But like, <laughs> he doesn't. And like, well, yeah. I won't get to that point right now. But like, is Anne Hathaway the worst? She's the worst one in this. She's the villain because like. They only put this sequence in shortly when they go on the break so that her fucking Simon Baker is somewhat excusable, right? Because mm-hmm. you can't have the lead cheat on her boyfriend because then that makes her even worse. But anyway, I'm jumping ahead. Simon Baker, what a man. <laughs> what a man. Uh, but he's got connections. So he gets her the unpublished uh, manuscript for Harry Potter. And uh, when she presents it to Meryl Streep, again, Meryl Streep just, you know, this is the moment where Anne Hathaway was saying, like, no matter what I do, I'm always doing it wrong. Even when I do something right, I don't get compliments. 
she's taken away every excuse Meryl Streep could have uh, because she's like, oh, well, it would be nice if we got them two copies. Oh, I did get them two copies. Uh, they, I, I even bound them and put covers on it and, and, and that this scene. and that. Yeah, and this is just a spare one I had. It's like, oh, where are it? Where are they? Oh, they're reading it on the train right now, and they cut to it. Uh, Meryl Streep, for the first time, has nothing bad to say for her, which is great. Um, she did have a conversation with her boyfriend where she said she was going to quit the job. Uh, but uh, when she comes back, he's he's not even upset with her for not quitting. Mm. He's just saying, oh, you didn't quit? I thought you were going to quit. That's all he says. Yep. Supportive. Uh, See? Supportive. Very supportive. Uh, we'll kind of wrap it up here um, where Emily Blunt gets COVID. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> in the middle of a boardroom scene where they're talking about fashion and that I'm zoning out. That is a cringeworthy like, scene in this movie because she's literally walking around going, that's you, that's you. And everyone's fine. I'm like, whoa, yeah. this movie doesn't age well. <laughs> yeah. Well, Meryl Streep says something but still doesn't mind. Yeah. <laughs> she, like, she doesn't even say, I need to replace her. She's like, no, you're going to come with her just in case. But what does she say when that meeting? She's like, has anyone got anything else to add? Maybe some antibacterial wipes or something like that? Like, yeah. 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 I think that's, that's the all. only thing she says. But she's not even being careful. She's not coughing into her arm or anything. She's leaning forward as she coughs. Not wearing a mask. No hand sanitizer. No mask. Ugh. Not staying home, yep. saving lives. Come on. Haven't you seen those ads on TV, Emily Blunt? Yeah. Come on. Think about the elderly population like Meryl Streep. Yeah, exactly. What's going to happen if she gets COVID? What's that ad I keep seeing here? It's like, you doing this is so that one day we can do this again. Do your part. <laughs> this is a message from the government of Canada. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> That is our recap on Government of Canada's uh, Health Canada messages. Can't wait for Government of Canada recap month. This week, <laughs> we recap the ad on beavers. Beavers Have Health Canada. Have you seen Canada. a beaver Pat it. Dun, 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 dun. Um, I love that you've been in Canada long enough that you know that. Dun, dun, dun. Every time I watch that, I'm like, that's meant to be the national anthem, right? And Valerie's like, I don't know. <laughs> I You're didn't Canadian. even notice that until you hummed it there. I'm like, that's the national anthem. Yeah, like as soon as I heard it, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Where's Justin Trudeau? I want Justin Trudeau on my ads narrating those. Like, he's a, like you meant to be nice prime minister. Uh, so, by the way, after, through this, the, the whole purpose is uh, Emily Blunt is going to need help at this function uh, that Anne Hathaway is going to go to when her boyfriend's birthday party is supposed to be going on. Uh, so she goes... Uh, and she's supposed to memorize this massive list of all the people because her entire purpose is just to remind Miranda who these people are. Uh, and she says, oh, only the first assistance is supposed to go to that. Uh, but um, uh, they give her a dress. I love how they say, will that even fit me? And I think Stanley Tucci says, oh, a little Crisco and some fishing line. <laughs> Maybe it will. <laughs> so she goes to this function. At one point, Emily Blunt is uh, so sick she can't remember who somebody is. Uh, and Anne Hathaway remembers. So again, she's done two good things, uh, which is going to become important uh, later on as um, uh, she's going to ask to go to France. Uh, but we'll cap it right before Emily Blunt gets run over by a car here. But I just got to say, Emily Blunt, snotty nose, looking hot. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, everyone, you know, Emily Blunt with COVID. Yes, please. I'm not even joking. Like, I, I said this to Jamie. I'm like, okay, like, she looks good in Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, she's supposed to. You know, she's athletic and <laughs> action starry. But I'm like, in Sicario, in, in a Quiet Place, I'm like, the dirtier, the better with that woman. Yes, please. Well, it's like when we did Survive. Remember those good days when we had listeners? Um, like, there were so many contestants <laughs> that would look better. And I'm not just saying the women, yeah. the men too. Like, they would look better dirty. Um, yeah, Colby. Just- 
Col- Colby's hot, dirty. Like the guy's hot, not dirty, but whew, that guy puts a mud on him. Um, <laughs> I want to say about Emily Blunt quickly because, like, I I remember I'm like, well, isn't she married to Michael Bublé? But they were together; they weren't married. But I'm learning here that her and Michael Bublé actually met at the Logies in Australia. They uh, were there together. And they dated for like three years because I, I remember like they were like a really big couple when they were together, um, and they apparently had a home together in Vancouver, and then they broke up, uh, and now she's married to John Krasinski. John Krasinski, yeah. And they've been together for a long time. And Michael Bublé is married to Bubbly. I don't know. Um, <laughs> have you drunk Bubbly before? That's like my staple. I have Bubbly all the time. Is that that flavorless um, it's soda? The, it's the the water. Yeah. The the yeah. Yeah. Flavored yeah, water. I, some people complain about that. I'm like, I kind of like it. It's great. I mean, it's Keto's best friend. It's like, it's got enough uh, flavor to it that I can pass it off as a soda and it's got nothing in it. So I can drink as much as mm-hmm. I want. It's just water. Um, Michael Bublé. Th- there's a man I think we should wow, talk about. Wow, there's a Canadian. I love Michael Bublé. What a man. What a, what a man. What a, I'm going to ship Emily Blunt and Michael Bublé back together. <laughs> I have nothing against John Krasinski. I've never watched The Office. I don't think I've ever seen him in anything. So... Seems like a nice oh. guy. Jack Ryan. Sure, good for that. Um, <laughs> what was that Jack Ryan movie that came out before they made it? Was it Chris Pine? Jack Chris Ryan? Pine? Yeah, Shadow Recruit. I remember Dad got like free tickets to that from the movie. Talk about Unforgettable. What happened to that movie? That came out and has gone. No one's talked about it yeah. since we have right now. <laughs> and it wasn't even too bad. It was fine. Um, I, it's one of those movies I'm like, yeah, I saw that cinema. I don't really remember it. Um I don't know if I have a whole lot to add on any of the the scenes. I, I love, um, like, I think you covered that scene before when, like, she's like, I'm going out for the weekend. Or there's, there's no, it's this scene when she's, like, going about, like, oh, it's my boyfriend's birthday today. And I just love Emily Blunt's, like, rolling of the eyes and, like, going, yang, 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 yang with her hands. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of funny. I love the Harry Potter series. I don't know why I really like that bit <laughs> where she, like, just randomly goes to get, like, Harry Potter script because, you know, funny. That doesn't really date that well, does it, when Harry Potter books were, like, still coming out. Um, you want to know a realistic journalism scene? Because I'm sure people at home are going, what journalism bits in this movie are real? That's why they're tuning in, Ben. They are. The the bit where they're all around the editor's table and they're discussing ideas and basically going, yes, no, yes, no. Like, that is legit. Like, yeah. that is how an editor's meeting is in, like, a journalism. Like, I've had so many meetings like that, except I've sadly not had Emily Blunt come in sneezing. Um, hope, <laughs> she can sneeze on me anytime. Hopefully my next job. I'll have Emily Blunt come in. Yeah, that that steak bit just makes me mad. <laughs> like, I'm just like, eat it at least. Like, give it to someone else. Um, Why doesn't Anne Hathaway eat it? Because she's getting skinny from six to four and all that kind of stuff. Um, I do like the, the sequence when they're at that, like the gala and they've got to say the names. Like, this is Colin Hilding, married to Jamie, influential podcast host. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. Colin, lovely to see you again. I can say to Mallory, like, I wish I had one of those people in my life. Like, because I forget. Like, I, I know a face. I'm like, yeah, I know you, but I can't remember your name. Like, I always, I've literally written on a piece of paper every episode, Colin, so I remember your name. Um, <laughs> so I just look at Colin. That's who I'm talking to. Um, you did the same thing at your wedding, by the way. Yeah, I did. I did. Can we just point out, okay, so, like, people complain about what's-his-face. Oh, he complains about her missing missing his birthday. Okay, he doesn't. This sequence here where he waits up for her and then basically goes to bed and is like, have a good night, go on to bed. She comes in with a cute little candle looking all skulky. Mallory's totally done this before. When we've had a fight and I'm pissed off, she comes home with something. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, that's cute. But, like... 
we've covered how many end of the world deadbeat dad movies, right? And the deadbeat dad is always the asshole because he misses, like, yeah. let's go back to Jingle All The Way. Arnold Schwarzenegger misses Anakin Skywalker's karate thing. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I didn't make it. He is the biggest asshole. We're meant to be going, oh, you're such a deadbeat dad. You're a bastard. Like, mm. oh, I hope you get redeemed in this movie. Why then are people bagging out Adrian Grenier here when clearly Anne Hathaway is the deadbeat dad here? Yes. She's coming home and he's all like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, this is the scene where we're meant to feel sorry for Adrian because she's been in the wrong. Clearly she and- hasn't had the time to even make a phone call and say, hey, honey, sorry, I'm going to be late. Like, Mallory will often get held up at work. She will call me or send me a message like, hey, I'm going to be like another couple of hours. If, if she doesn't tell me and I'm sitting at home for like five hours wondering where she is, I'm going to be pissed. I think it's mm-hmm. a human instinct. Whereas, okay, it's not even a pissed thing. I shouldn't say it like that. It's more of a worried thing as well. Because, like, if you haven't heard from, in a day and age where we live on our phones, there's really no excuse for it, right? Yeah. So, like, I don't get why Adrian Grinney is getting the shit rap here when he's done nothing well, wrong. You, you could also say, okay, well, these are the guys bringing a guy's perspective on it, you know? Um, I'll make the argument. We made some pretty good arguments for Billy Zane in Titanic. Again, not from being a good guy, but for him not being as bad as the movie was trying to make him out to be. Titanic was going out of their way to portray him as being a bad guy. What we're talking about here is the writers of this movie, the writer of the book and the writer of the screenplay, both women wrote a character where they are clearly spelling it out as he is the good guy and she is a selfish person all of a sudden. That's her character's growth. If it was the other way around, where is Anne Hathaway's character? What is her growth? What is her purpose? Let's bring up the parallel for a movie, which I sometimes randomly bring up for parallels. D2, The Mighty Ducks, okay? <laughs> Golden Bombay, you know, yep. he's sadly gone and had a you know a crack at the minors. He's nearly on the cusp of the NHL. Knee injury, damn. He then gets brought in to coach Team USA at the Junior Goodwill Games because reasons, right? And for some reason, the entire USA squad is basically made up of a peewee team from Minneapolis. But, hey, that's for another episode. And one cowboy. And one cowboy, one Asian dude, and a Latino because we've got to tick the quota, right? We'll get to that one day. But, of course... They're in Los Angeles. Everybody's in love with Team USA hockey. No one cares about them. It's the Goodwill Games, right? We remember the fun times of the Goodwill Games. And so Gordon Bombay overnight, he's got fame getting to his head. He's on Wheaties boxes. He's going to parties with Wayne Gretzky. I mean, this guy is famous. But it starts affecting the team. The team starts losing. And the team are like, Gordon, look at yourself. So he talks to not Hans, Jan. And it's like, remember who you are, Gordon. So then he comes to practice the next day and it's all well and good. The kids are there and Team USA beat Iceland and win the gold. What an inspirational movie. This is, she's bloody Gordon Bombay. And yet, Those kids were holding him back from his career and his ambitions and his I dream. Want, I want to see this Mighty Ducks reboot of Gordon Bombay has gone on to be like Don Cherry's replacement as analyst on Hockey Night in Canada. <laughs> it's getting to his head and here's Laura Graham coming in, coming, oh, I'm going to bring you back down to earth, Gordon Bombay. Come coach my kids in Minneapolis. But like, this is the same plot, except mm-hmm. for some reason, people are calling her friends the assholes. I want, yeah. I, I want a retcon of D2, the Mighty Ducks. The kids are assholes. They're holding Gordon Bombay back. <laughs> Screw you, well, kids from Minnesota. Um, you have anything else you were going to add or is that just uh, it? No, there's my, okay, my connection. I've been waiting my entire life to connect Devil Wears Prada <laughs> to D2, the Mighty Ducks. I've done it. Yes. 
because uh, I want to talk about the next scene, the art scene, where she's trying to make it up to her friends and her boyfriend, showing that she is reliable. Uh, so this art opening from her one friend, what's this friend's name? Um, Jenny. Jenny, okay. <laughs> it's not Lily. Lily. Her name is Lily. Lily, okay. So did you read what Lily's role in the book was? No. Uh, uh, Colin, backtrack. It's, it's... You said the words read and book. So. <laughs> <laughs> you like art. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, so Lily apparently was her roommate in the um, in the book. And Lily took it hard when Anne Hathaway's character uh, stepped down this wrong path. Again, showing that the intention is to show Anne Hathaway as the villain. In the book, Lily gets so distraught at Anne Hathaway not spending any time with her, not paying attention to her, just as her roommate, that she takes up drinking and gets in a drunk driving accident, nearly killing herself. Lily. So (laughs) Lily becomes an alcoholic because of how bad of a person Anne Hathaway's character is supposed to be. I'm pretty sure it's the intention. She is. Shut up, audience of film. Like, (laughs) (laughs) stop. Like, no, poor Lily. She needs to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, support <laughs> Lily. Hashtags, I want a T-shirt, Colin. Hashtag support Lily. But can I just say, Tracy Thomas, uh, Tom, sorry. I, I thought I recognised her. She was a uh, cold case. I used to watch Cold Case. So, Oh, yeah, I remember that show. And she's in 911. Who's she in 911? Karen. Oh, she's um the wife slash girlfriend of the paramedic. I like her. Yeah. Okay, I know who she is now. Yeah. And in Unreal, right. she's in... Seasons three and four of Unreal, which I haven't actually oh, watched season three and four of Unreal yet, but good to know. We'll get there. Hashtag, let's get Tracy Toms on the show. That's a very long hashtag, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, I don't know if we really needed her roommate to become an alcoholic. I think that's a little oh. bit too much, but again, it shows, what the, it shows what the intention was with the character. Like the fact that there are people out there who have missed the point that Anne Hathaway's character is supposed to be the bad guy for most of this movie. I don't get it. Also, sorry, um, Tracy Toms is in Looper apparently with Emily Blunt. So. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Um, uh, is she sweaty in it? <laughs> I don't know. Sure, let's go with that. Uh, I, I do like, though, um, where I think Emily Blunt uh, shows up at this function and she even says, oh, you look great. It's like, oh, thanks. I'm just one stomach flew away from my goal weight. Because <laughs> this is a whole Paris thing, isn't it, right? Like this becomes a yeah. big plot line. She wants to go to Paris. Yeah, well, that was, that's that's her entire purpose. She lives for going to Paris. Uh, now, also at this uh fashion show thing which i missed we do get introduced to uh the french lady who runs french runway magazine who's going to be important later on um which she's for but anyways, who is she i I'm, i don't know i don't follow runway um uh, <laughs> what was her character's do you name follow french cinema as a jacqueline Follet, <laughs> stephanie uh, so stack nicholas uh, she was in iron man three um dinner for schmucks i like that movie uh, maybe she's that's who I'm thinking of. Have you seen Dinner for Smarks? Good movie. No. Uh, yeah, I don't know her from anything. Uh, I, well, before I forget, let, let's let's hear your Rebecca Mater rant here. Rebecca oh. <laughs> Mater. I, I don't know what the problem is with her. I don't get. I don't. She's not great on Lost, but I don't have a problem with her. I look again. Let me backtrack. Nothing against Rebecca Mater. Like honestly, like we've I've spoken with her management several times, and like each time they've been like, yeah, she'd love to do your show, and we just haven't made it work yet. So Rebecca Mater hopefully will appear on the show one day. Nothing against her as a person. Charlotte in Lost? Come on, she's so annoying. (laughs) 
she's like, oh, boo-hoo-hoo. And then when she dies, what does she say? Like some little, goes back into little girl mode and her nose bleeds, like, and just like poor Faraday, <laughs> like getting in love with her, like between her and Naomi. So like, I think I've told, we're watching White Collar at the moment and Naomi from Lost is in it. British actress putting on a terrible American accent. Like when, when the guys all land on the, the island that are like the other others, like the only ones we like are Faraday and the um, the other dude, right? Like whatever his name is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Lapidus. Yeah. Lapidus. Um, Nwongo. <laughs> what did you say? Nwongo. <laughs> oh, Lapidus Nwongo. <laughs> Lapidus Nwongo. <laughs> I like that. That's clever. Um yeah. Maybe I'm just sexist. I just don't like the other other women. That's not true. I like Juliet. I like Kate. I'm the only one on our Lost. Uh, Juliet's my, Juliet might be my favorite character on all Lost. Coming soon, Lost eventually. We have recorded one new episode, so it is coming eventually in 2021. But, uh, I mean, I swear, every episode that Kate has, Noah, like, bins it and then bags out <laughs> Juliet all the time. Like, leave Kate oh. and Juliet alone. Bring me on an episode with Juliet. I'm going to have words with Noah. Yeah. When it comes to uh, defending Claire, we might be a bit difficult. Um, But I'm the guy who uh, defends Boone, so what can I say? Okay. Does Charlie or Juliet have a better ending on the show? Uh, Ooh. uh, Charlie. Uh, I I would lean slightly towards Juliet just because I think that... that... Look, as we go on a side tangent... Juliet has a much. See, better... we're bringing you lost coverages back, starting Juliet's, right now. Juliet's a better character and has a much better arc, and I'm not. Dis- I don't dislike her ending. It's heroic, and that I'm just. I'm not a Juliet Sawyer shipper. I, I'm much more of a Juliet mm. Jack shipper. So to me, the fact that she kind of goes off with the "I love you, James," like eh, it doesn't. I don't buy it. Whereas Charlie, like, I mean, that's. God, I bore my eyes out whenever I watched that scene. That's one of the most iconic scenes in television. I'm just pointing it out there. So. Yeah, but the Charlie's character is a bit yeah throughout his. He starts off good, gets shit, then goes out good. Whereas Juliet's kind of uh, stable the whole way. I'm a Juliet Tim Allen shipper. Um, oh. <laughs> go back and listen to Such our a shame Santa Claus terrible stuff. movies. Uh, but anyways, uh, Simon Baker appears again. I just wrote I all of my notes on Simon Baker is just Simon Baker appears again. Like he has no other purpose than to show up. He's not even being overly flirty. He's actually being quite a gentleman where he's yeah. like, oh, uh, no no boyfriend today? Okay, interesting. Uh, but anyways, yeah, you mentioned she shows up because she missed his birthday with the cupcake. Then they go to the, the art show. While she's at the art show, Simon Baker shows up again because my note said so. <laughs> Take, think um, of the name of a new spinoff podcast. Simon Baker shows up again. Shows up. Let's Long look at the career Kiefer of likes Simon taquitos. Baker. <laughs> that should be a Kevin Bacon shows up again, a Kevin Bacon podcast. There's Kevin Bacon. <laughs> Uh, I think my, my chronology is a little bit off here, but just while we're going with the uh, the friend thing here, uh, her alcoholic friend, <laughs> does she overreact a little bit to simply seeing um, Simon Baker give her a kiss on the cheek and Anne Hathaway kind of give one of those hee schoolgirl giggles? Like, she really loses it. Like, as if she just saw her own spouse cheat on her. But, I mean, yes and no. I see it like maybe a bit of an interaction, but at the same time, She's changed so much that all of a sudden you see her with like a, a very attractive guy getting a kiss and being all like, oh, like they're all such mm. tight friends, right? Like I'm sure you and Jamie have like close friends that you hang out with. And I'm sure if you saw one of them all Nobody of a sudden, who looks act- like Simon Baker. Well, I mean, God, if you had Simon Baker in your friendship group, you'd be single, my friend. Um, <laughs> but like, and so would I. I'm, I'm not just saying to call it like a Jamie thing. <laughs> what did I say to Mallory the other day or something like, 
Oh, she said to me, she's like, oh, I wouldn't stand you up on your birthday, Ben. Like, I, and I said, like, even if it was a Simon Baker, and she was like, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, but like, I'm sure if you saw like one of your friends, like, I don't know, like, I, I kind of, I'm more with our alcoholic friend here. I'm definitely that well, type I, of guy I, who'd probably react like her. No, I, I could. I, it's just the look on her face where she looks like she's about to throw up. But yeah, maybe if you do combine in there her change in behavior over several if, months i tell you what colin if i all of a sudden start seeing some change in jamie and then all of a sudden i happen to see her <laughs> kissing someone i won't overreact i'll just like oh okay. that's just please jamie. don't <laughs> like random podcast you blah blah oh by the way i saw jamie like you know flirting with keanu reeves the other day kissing. what bad why hasn't she been well, home in the last three days <laughs> let's be Paris? honest though why is that why is this friend not going it's like how come you didn't tell me that you knew this guy and that I'm available? Why aren't you introducing me? Well, that's what like, I like shouldn't the, she be more upset with that? I like the line from the friend here where basically alcohol friend comes up and is basically like, I want to introduce <laughs> He's just an alcohol friend. <laughs> comes up to him and he's basically like, I want you to introduce someone. And he's like, art and sex, this night got better. Like, <laughs> fun, fun fact, uh, he actually got introduced to Simon Baker. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. So you imply what that he man. was a straight man. Uh-uh-uh. Don't judge but, judge to sexual orientation conclusions, folks. Again, though, this this movie is going so far out of its way to not make Adrian Grenier the guy holding her down that they don't even make him the one. He never knows about Simon Baker. You could have even said, oh, well, if he saw her, he could be like, well, why are you so possessive over her? He doesn't even see. He doesn't even know. Yeah, like and that's, th- another thing he didn't do anything wrong. With. And that's where I think you you like you also need to make Simon Baker more of an asshole, right? Because mm-hmm. have them meet here or something like that. And like, there's even a line when doesn't Simon Baker say something like, "Oh, is the dumb boyfriend out of the way" or something like that? Like, I feel like you need to have Anne Hathaway say something like, "He's not a dumb boyfriend." Like, I love him. Yeah, like, but she just goes along with it. Oh fuck, Simon Baker. Yeah, exactly. Dumb. I'm gonna fuck this guy. Um, like, he was only on Entourage. You were on The Guardian. <laughs> Anne Hathaway is much more of an evil character. Like, like yeah, just going back to my point, I just always think Simon Baker is much more of a douche in this movie, but he's not. Like, yeah. He, like, evil well, let's look, the, the, yeah, let's look at the title for a second, okay? Because this just came to me. I was telling Jamie I had an issue with it being called The Devil Wears Prada because Meryl Streep's character does nothing wrong. She's she's mean. I, I called her snarky. That's the word I would use. I didn't view her as a mean character. Now, could the title The Devil Wears Prada be about Anne Hathaway's character and not Meryl Streep's? Well, she becomes the devil when she starts wearing That's a big point to make. Wow. That's one of those theories that you read on Reddit that make the news, Colin. Wow. Anne Hathaway's the devil. (laughs) That could be interpreted that way. Um, But hang on, Colin. Does she wear Prada? Oh, Maybe one of the outfits is Prada. I don't know. Maybe, but, but I mean, it is a, it is a valid point though. Like, and maybe that could be the deep dive into this. Like, you, you know, you think yeah. the title is about that, but it, it's kind of like like the Last Jedi, right? Like, is Jedi pluralized, or is it you know one Jedi? Like, but shut up! Don't talk about that movie. <laughs> um, they should have called it the Last Star Wars because it should have yeah. ended there. <laughs> we hope. <laughs> uh, now the main plot gets wrapped up here, though. Uh, as Miranda has asked Anne Hathaway to go to Paris with her because, oh, you, you've proven that you're, you're the new number one. So I want you to come to Paris. And Anne Hathaway's hesitant. She's like, I can't because this is all that Emily Blunt lives for. Uh, it would crush her. It's like, okay, you can be the one to crush her then. <laughs> it's like, if you want a job, you're going to do this. Now, Anne Hathaway's argument later on about I had to do it, 
Um, you kind of see it from her point of view because she doesn't want to lose her job over. But again, because she's willing to lose her job in the end, you realize, well, she didn't have to do it. Exactly. Uh, which, yeah, one of the things I think works about this movie. Mm. You could look at it both ways, but ultimately she made the choice. Uh, that's why she's the true villain and not Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep wants the best person there. Emily Blunt has shown herself to not be the best person anymore. She's coughing over people at the office, as sexy as that is. She's uh, forgetting people's names. Uh, she's not hanging up the coat when puts on the desk. We, we had that too. So yeah, she's picking the best person to go with her. Uh, so Anne Hathaway does call her to say, listen, I have some bad news. Emily Blunt's late for, she's late for work. Meryl Streep is picking the best candidate for the job at this point. If the Toronto Maple Leaves get some new up and comer who's shit at the beginning, but then all of a sudden Austin Matthews gets COVID again, doesn't yeah. hang up his jersey after practice, and I don't know, doesn't Patrick do Patrick Lawson. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you're gonna, you're Patrick gonna, Lawson, the new star player. He's going to come across, exactly. <laughs> and he's got to get suited up, and no one's going to be like, oh, you benched you know, Austin Matthews. He's got COVID. He's not doing his yeah. job. He can't score a goal. Like, at the end of the day, you're not performing. I mean, that's half the tomorrow night, Mabel. I shouldn't say that. You beat us <laughs> twice this week, didn't we? And you're kind of on top uh, of yeah, the Yeah, I think Damn Quite it. a few wins. Like, like, can't make Maple Leafs jokes at the moment. Well, wait till the the Stanley Cup playoffs, then we can start. Oh, they got games. lots of time to blow it. It's okay. Um, but like, but again, like this is the thing. You do that, of course, you're going to pick someone else. Like, why is this any mm-hmm. different? Yeah. Uh, so Meryl Streep, not that bad. Now we're defending. We have to defend the bad guys in every movie because movies are manipulative. Movies I like can't fashion. Wait till we do Downfall. Like, God, Hitler was a good <laughs> <Yes>. guy. <laughs> Look That's at him, he's sad. <laughs> Hitler was sad. He had to feel important. No one listened to Hitler, so he had to do something. <laughs> Maybe killing dream. six million Jews wasn't the answer, but at least he did something that people talk about him 100 years later. <laughs> Good on you, we Hitler, for lost, trying. We've lost all hope of Patreon now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, um, this, is, this is again one of those clips in isolation that's going to come back and haunt me one day. I'm going to be on the cusp <laughs> of making it, and then all of a sudden, I'll make it. I'll get a job somewhere. You were like, Entertainment Tonight with Ben Waterworth. <laughs> a week later, I'm going to get fired because someone's going to go through all my episodes. Someone bored. It's going to be like fucking Ben. What was that stupid asshole that worked for us that one time? That Oslet Ben Moore on Facebook. Oh, the other Ben. Yeah, the other Ben. He's going to be that guy who's held his spite against me for years, and he's going to sound clip, and then they're going to play this. In all the news, it's going to be like, Ben Waterworth defends Hitler. Um, <laughs> Which I can tell you right now, he said much worse things off air. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jesus. You realize if you're ever on trial, me and Noah, like we're the star witnesses for the prosecution. <laughs> this is coming from the guy when I'm in a car with him in Winnipeg, silently waiting at a red light. A bunch of Asian people walk past in front of us. Colin tells me, don't say anything racist, Ben. <laughs> You. That's my <laughs> reputation. Literally silence. Not saying anything. Don't say anything racist, Ben. I forgot about that. <laughs> That's the type of peer person that Colin Hilding thinks I am. <laughs> well, I'm not wrong, am I? <laughs> I was thinking some racist things. I wasn't going to say it. Uh, anyways, Emily Blunt gets hit by a car. <laughs> And doesn't she look sexy in hospital? <laughs> Funny enough, I turned to Jamie. I'm like, yummy. <laughs> Were you talking about the snack pack or Emily Blunt? I want that snack pack. That looks <laughs> Both. good. Both. Oh. 
both at the same time. <laughs> she's she's suddenly eating it, and I love when she finds out about it. She she's so upset. She goes, "How could you go? You eat carbs." That's <laughs> her <laughs> argument. You just want Emily Blunt in a bath of snack pack. Yes. <laughs> Actually, but she a- must be. Yeah, I was going to say, she must be dirty and sweating at the that's same a, time. That's a fun afternoon. Imagine coming home. And you're, <laughs> first of all, like positive, bath filled with snack pack. Good afternoon. Then all of a sudden, Emily Blunt emerges. Better afternoon. Pierce Brosnan walks in with a glass of milk. Best afternoon ever. Simon Baker takes pictures. <laughs> and the Oz Network gets listened to. <laughs> Great <laughs> afternoon for Colin Hilding. <laughs> uh, yeah, so she's upset because she's not going. This is where you actually start feeling uh, sorry for Emily Blunt too. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, oh, I love the the argument. I think her friend has. I did miss this too. Uh, I, I don't know if it was her friend or somebody else says uh, you're, you're pole dancing with integrity. Just own it. Um, or is that the boyfriend? Isn't it the boyfriend? Because that's the speech where. He says, uh, that's the... Oh, no. yeah. Better defense. Yeah, no, I think it is him. Because he's basically saying, listen, if you want to be this person, just be this person, but own it. Don't pretend you're not. So again, he's telling her, be whoever you want to be, even if it's this. And the other defense for him in this moment is it's when he shows up to the party and he's all like, hey, how's it going? Um, and he overhears, oh, you're going to Paris? And she's like, don't start on me too, and storms out. Yeah. You didn't even tell your own boyfriend you're about to go to Paris and you're angry that he's angry at you? Yeah, like, is, is he supposed to be calling you for three days straight like Ben calls Mallory? Are you coming home? I've been calling her, like, this whole time. Like, I'm, I'm just dialing. Like, <laughs> where are you? Where are you? You only left a minute ago. It's like, Ben, I'm in the elevator. Calm down. But, yeah, this is the scene where she not breaks up with him, where she says we should take a break for a while. Um and then he says, when her phone rings, yeah, you know that person who calls you all the time or the person you're always on the phone with, that's the person you're in a relationship with. Really good line. Uh, Very good <laughs> Makes line. you wonder who who Mallory's in a relationship with at work right now. She loves a uh, At um, uh, the arrival of Paris, we actually get a decent song in this movie for a change. U2, City of Blinding Lights. I like U2. Are you okay with U2? Thanks for liking me, Colin. I like you too. No, um, <laughs> band. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm a I'm a U2 fan. Why not? My dad used to um, lots of memories of watching U2 VHS concerts with my dad. So no, I, mm. I I'm a I'm a fan. I like Bono. Bono and his shifty glasses. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, one of the first DVDs I ever owned was uh, um, a DVD of U2's. I can't remember which one of their tours from the early 2000s. Uh, like concert video, yeah. We, so. I remember in journalism in university, we had to do a class on uh, their zoo concert because it was so groundbreaking and it was like an analyst of the media or something oh, like yeah. in the early 90s. Um, so kind of things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, I've they're not in my top 10 favourite bands, but they wouldn't be, I don't, yeah, I like I like you too. I like they're, you they're, too, they're better than They're better than Coldplay. Uh, That's all that needs to be said. Well... I'd probably Don't be more argue. of a Coldplay fan. Oh, I'm a white guy. Of course on, you like would be. <laughs> but no, the best songs in this. There's two Madonna songs in this movie, Colin. Shut up. Okay, well. You like Vogue. Well, Surely you like Madonna's? Vogue. Come on. No, not really. It's okay. What's the other song, though? You said the other song jump. was in here. Is, uh, what was it called? Get ready to jump. Get ready to Where does it play? Uh, it's one of the... I think it might be the second or third song in the movie. Like, it's... Um, oh. 
It might be around about when she... It's near one of the montages. She's walking through the street. Oh, I, it's in the movie, Colin. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I'm not going back over to listen. Um, I'm going to kind of breeze through all the Paris stuff here because this is where the story really wraps up. Uh, what did my notes say? Simon Baker again, because he shows up. Uh, this is where he's actually asking her out. She's like, oh, you know, I don't if I really want to. Uh, Meryl Streep says her husband's not coming. Uh, this is where she has to go over the seating plan. The one scene where Meryl Streep's actually a civilized, I'm not going to say civilized, a normal human being, vulnerable human being, is showing her as her marriage is broken up and Anne Hathaway is actually like, I'm really sorry, I feel bad for you and all that. Uh, another reason why I have a problem with her being viewed as a villain in this movie, because uh, not that we shouldn't see a scene like this, but this is the scene that's going to stand out to people. And I can't think of one moment in this movie where she's genuinely cruel to mm. anybody other than just having sarcastic comments you know and and taking little shots at people uh this is what stands out to me it's to me it stands out of the i feel bad for this woman uh not that she's the devil in prada uh, that's, and that's actually a, a theory that's by right <laughs> write an essay uh, and like, get it published by like variety and you'll make it well i i i also love meryl streep here which is like we need to look over the saving plan uh snoop dog needs to be at my table <laughs> Why? Because I'm single and he's exactly my type. <laughs> because he started hanging out with Martha Stewart. So I'm I in. know, I was going to say, we know he, Snoop Dogg has a type. It's Marilyn Martha. <laughs> Which I, I was going to use that as my opening line, actually. I forgot about that line. But um, I, I want to see Snoop and Meryl hanging out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, come on. There's a sitcom right there. The Mamma Mia remix of, uh, like, you know, yeah. hey, broken her dog, dog, yo, it's a Snoop Dizzle Wizzle. <laughs> Drop it like it's a heart. Snoop, it's the Snoop Dizzle Whistle. <laughs> Fun story. My, well, this has got nothing to do with me. Well, it kind of does. My weird connection story to Snoop Dogg. So you met Anthony, uh, Minneapolis yeah. Anthony. When he lived in Melbourne, he worked for a high-profile hotel chain and had a lot of celebrities that would stay at his hotel. Snoop Dogg came and stayed at his hotel. And Anthony would always say that one of the nicest down-to-earth celebrities he ever met was Snoop Dogg. And, like, he really? basically, like, I think he came with his wife. Like, Snoop Dogg's married. I didn't know Snoop Dogg was married. Um, but, like, you, he was like, you would expect this guy to, like, be just a jerk and all that sort of stuff. But he's like, no, he was one of the nicest guys and just he had all the time in the world for Snoop Dogg. So, Snoop Dogg, genuine guy. I'd have him at my table anytime. Absolutely. I love Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Do you like Snoop Dogg's music, Colin? You seem like the type who would listen um... to it. I, I, to be honest, I haven't heard that much of him. I mean, he's got oh. a couple that are like, oh, that's slightly catchy. But uh, you, you, when you come here, when you and Jamie eventually make your way over here, we're going to have a Snoop Dogg listening party. Oh, we're going to have a Dizzle Whistle-a-thon. Absolutely. Him and Dr. <laughs> Dre. Oh. Uh, all right. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. The two whitest guys in the world talk about Snoop Dogg. I, just, I can't wait for, like, the African-American podcast talking about Coldplay. So... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Balance or the swings and roundabouts. The straight podcast talking about Madonna. <laughs> hey, it's coming soon to the Oz Network. You shut up. Uh, Her daughter joined Instagram happens, this week. Did you see that? Do I look like somebody that saw that? <laughs> daughter's hot. Shut up. <laughs> I'm going to show you a picture uh, the, of her and you tell me if she's not attractive. I shouldn't have told you who it was first and you would have said, they're attractive. And then as soon as I said, like, do you know who it is? You'd be like, ew. <laughs> uh, Stanley Tucci got his dream job working for... <laughs> Colin's <What>? <laughs> Madonna's daughter on Instagram, Colin, was speechless. Okay, all right. <laughs> You're in. Uh, 
You're involved, I mean, Dale. Even if she's even if she's not sweaty and dirty. She's 15, Colin. Uh, no, she's 23. <laughs> <laughs> she made the news because she she joined Instagram and then like Madonna fans started commenting on her post, going like, "Oh my God, I love you." Say get your mother to say hi for me. To which Lourdes replies with. Mum would never say hi to you. Suck a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and that made the news. Right. It's like Madonna's daughter calls out Madonna fans. <laughs> now that you uh, pause this podcast, Sorry. Um, I'll just say, thank God she has a hot dad. Uh- <laughs> I don't, actually, I don't think Guy Ritchie's her father. I think Guy Ritchie's the other one. No, no, one's I know. Father. There was her previous, what was it, her gardener or something like that. Oh, the, was the, it? The, oh, right. Personal okay. trainer or something like that. Oh, who knows? One of those... Even Madonna Menial lost jobs. count of the fathers of her children. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, anyway, Stanley Simon Tucci Baker gets shows t- up. <laughs> Sorry. Stan- Simon Baker shows up. Uh, Stanley Tucci got his dream job, uh, which is going to be working for this fashion designer who's suddenly a part of the movie again, even though he's got no character in the movie. And uh, they're there to launch this. Um, uh, it's, it's, I don't know if it's an award or it has something to do with the Paris runway magazine or something along those lines but uh Anne hathaway has sex with simon baker it's first time simon baker's in my notes and it actually is a note about something and she's out cold because sex with simon baker knocks you out cold Ooh, so wouldn't it ever actually, it's a tasmanian thing sex with a tasmanian knocks you out cold but we uh, get consent first <laughs> well i was gonna say sometimes it's pleasure and sometimes it's just shock as in they're knocked out cold. That's what I mean. That's what he's implying. Uh, we, oh, do we do these episodes. We do these episodes so we can show our female listeners. Listen, we'll talk about things that interest you too, and then bam every single year. And here I am, the guy who edits these. You think I would edit these out? Remember that reference to rape you made, Ben, and defended Hitler? Oh, you kept them in. There's a reason why I'm unemployed I was going to say single well for a couple of months as soon as Mallory starts listening to the show um, she, she's Mallory feeding ever... me lines I've got like a speaking of Ben say something inappropriate <laughs> about rape does, does, does she that there's anything uh, appropriate about rape show? sorry like that's a weird that's a redundant say something well, that's, what's that's on the redu- list but that's a redundant sentence saying something inappropriate about rape can you say something appropriate about rape like y- you know I'm gonna move on <laughs> your own sake <laughs> it's like one of those things where people say like I'm anti-cancer like who's for cancer like <laughs> So it is. Look at me going. I've been doing this with you for like nearly 10 years, man, and uh, now I just don't know what to say anymore. <laughs> Sex was a bigger. Stanley Tucci gets a job. <laughs> Sex with Simon Baker, the follow-up to Tom Cruise is gay, coming soon. To the <laughs> gay sex with Tom Cruise. That's what it was called. <laughs> um, I don't even know. Uh, Simon Baker wakes up telling Anne Hathaway that uh, he's got a new job because this French lady that Meryl Streep hates so much is going to be taking over and Meryl Streep's going to be out. He's going to come in as the new editor. 
Anne Hathaway's mad at him. What's he supposed to do? Turn down a job? His dream job, by the and, way? And, and like, shouldn't, like, you just fuck this guy. You want to be a journalist. He's about to be Yeah, the exactly. Editor. You should be like, instead of like, oh, bad Simon Baker. Miranda's <laughs> going to be upset. You should be like, fuck, dude, my dream job. I'm just like, oh, I'm sucking exactly. dick again. Let me get a job at, like, writing things. Let's endorse using sex to get ahead in the workplace. <laughs> this is before the Me Too movement. It was acceptable in 2006. She wasn't doing it to get ahead. Yeah, she was doing I mean, it he to was. get ahead. To get ahead. <laughs> and like, but, uh, Simon Baker's sleeping with Anne Hathaway to get ahead, right? Because levels of fame, Anne Hathaway, Simon Baker. Only one of them's got an Academy Award. It works yeah, both ways. Yeah, it's not ways. Simon Baker. Yeah, he should have an Academy Award, let's be honest. The Academy Award of Handsome Men. Yeah, oh, goodness. That's that's Jamie and Mallory's favorite award show. It's it's Simon Baker, Tom best, Welling. Best sound direction in Handsome Men, Meryl Streep. <laughs> Did you ever watch, you watch Jimmy Kimmel? Yeah, I like Jimmy. You ever watch the Jimmy Kimmel uh, Handsome Man's Club? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that's brilliant. I went through I went through the, uh, the phase of like catching up on all the Matt Damon versus Jimmy Kimmel stuff. Um, and yeah, that was in the, the playlist that that's funny. Um, so my favorite part of that is where Ethan Hawk in the handsome man's club is saying, you know, I want to change my first name to handsome so I can be handsome Hawk. Uh, <laughs> and because of that, I started calling myself handsome Hilding to Jamie, which she uses to this day, referring to, uh, any, any, any of the men in our family, she'll call the, the, the twins, except handsome you. Hilding, Casper, handsome, except for me, I've been bumped, but, uh, that's basically handsome. You will find handsome Hilding. Uh, hashtag handsome Hilding. Jamie will do for everything. Uh, all came from the handsome man's club. Uh, me and <laughs> who's Matthew your favorite Jimmy? And- Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon? Oh, Jimmy Kimmel, hands down. I I, I can't decide. I mean, I like I think I like Jimmy Kimmel's humor and style better, but I also like Jimmy Fallon. Like I don't know, there's something about Jimmy Fallon that I like more as probably an actor when he does like comedies and when he was on. Saturday you might be the Live. first person ever who said he liked Jimmy Kimmel as an actor. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to like him as an interviewer. I'm a better interviewer than Jimmy Fallon. Come on. But like, <laughs> yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon's, I, I like it when he would get like, um, they've removed it from YouTube now for reasons. But like, I used to like that celebrity impressions reel with Kevin Spacey. And when he gets like people on and he does like the, the singing impression. So we got like, I think um, Celine Dion on there and like sing this in the style of Britney Spears or something like that. And it's, it's funny. I like the silly games Jimmy Fallon does. Yeah, not him doing blackface, just the games. I'll no. agree with you. Uh, he he's he's good at lip syncing. That's <laughs> something. <laughs> and he's friends uh, poor man, with he's, Justin Timberlake. He's just a poor man's Adam Sandler to me. I think he always. What's wrong him. with Adam Sandler? I'm not. No, I said Jimmy Kimmel is the poor man's Adam Sandler. Oh, Jimmy Kimmel, not Jimmy Fallon. Oh no, sorry, no, Jimmy Fallon is the poor man's Adam Which Sandler. Jimmy, I'm getting are we talking about? <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon is the poor man's Adam Sandler. Where, where do I'm going to have Jimmy a guitar Parsons. and sing a funny song. <laughs> Jim Parsons. What about him? Yeah. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. Um, we're getting better. <laughs> How are we going over two hours and the devil wears Prada? I think we're going to be closing on three by the time this is over. Ferris Bueller's day off is going to go for two days at this point. <laughs> Anne Hathaway has very important news to tell Meryl Streep. She doesn't want to listen. Uh, as they're walking into this big ceremony that they're having, she tells her everything. Oh, they're going to fire you and everything. And Meryl Streep just completely ignores her. Or so you think. She goes up, she makes her speech, and she basically says during a speech, I would like to uh, congratulate the new uh, person who's going to be leading up this fashion designer's, you know, 
business, whatever. Let me introduce to Jacqueline, whatever, the French lady she hates. As Stanley Tucci, who was supposed to have that job, jaw drops. Um, weird ending here. Stanley Tucci, not mad at this. I do like his line, though. It says, she'll make it up to me eventually. And Anne Hathaway's like, will she really, though? Mm. Uh, but just the fact that Meryl Streep had to preserve her own career by sacrificing Stanley Tucci's dream, and he's not mad at her. Uh, again, it makes me actually, you should hate her character more because Stanley Tucci doesn't. She's not the devil to me. She's just a lady who saved her own job and everybody is rewarding him because they basically inadvertently say Stanley Tucci will be rewarded for this. She'll make it up to him. She'll sleep uh, with him. She'll sleep with him. Yeah, that's every every gay man's dream. Sex with Meryl Streep. It probably is. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'd be every the one woman I think most gay men would sleep with is Meryl Streep. So you're not wrong there. Meryl Streep or gay sex with Tom Cruise. It's a tough call for Ooh, them. But jeez. Both are. <clears> what a, I was going to say, what a man, but, you know. Yeah, well, but, Meryl Streep um, can play a man and what a man. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the ending here where Anne Hathaway's questioning her in the car. This is like the Ocean's Eleven. You know all Ocean's movies? Never you think you know how it... Oh, you got to watch them. Uh, okay, but you, you, The movie ends. You're like, oh, that's how they pulled it off. And then somebody comes in and like, okay, but what you didn't see was this. And I love they kind of play this Ocean's Eleven ending here where Meryl Streep's like, yeah, but while this was going on, I was on the phone and I was setting up this and this and this. And that part of the ending, I absolutely love. Uh, what I don't really love is um, the conversation here where she basically says, you know what? You belong here. You, 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 everybody wants to be like us. I mean, that line she has with everybody wants to be like us. And Anna Hathaway finally decides to get up and walk away. This is what makes you get up and walk away. Like this movie should have ended when she's like, you shouldn't have sacrificed that man's dream. And you know what? I didn't want this dream in the first place. And you know what? Sex with Simon Baker kind of overrated. Like <laughs> give us a reason, but ultimately it just comes down to her saying everybody wants to be like us. And, and she walks out. She led her to the car. She, and, and at this point she should be applauding Meryl Streep. This is the female empowerment. You should be wanting, you know, look at the lengths you went, you pulled off an ocean style heist in order to save your job. And you did it all off camera. That takes talent. And you did it and you're divorcing your husband. You got twins you're raising at home. Like what a woman. <laughs> And instead, Anne Hathaway gets up and walks out. And what does she do? She goes back home to her boring boyfriend, does, doesn't really apologize for cheating on him. <laughs> Just sort of says, what? Sorry, I missed your birthday. I'll be around if you want me to. Which then doesn't then, make sense because yeah. is she moving to Boston with him or is she taking a job at the New York Inquisitor or whatever knows. it's called? <laughs> and then, uh, oh, let me, let me get on the thing that doesn't make sense with Emily Blunt's character. Okay, so all these clothes are apparently free because Anne Hathaway's entire wardrobe has been provided by her business. So when Anne Hathaway makes it up to Emily Blunt in the end by saying, I got all these nice clothes that I don't need here. Would you care to take them off my hands? She goes, I'll do it because I want to accept your apology because I'm a better person. Like and she doesn't say, oh yes. She's basically like, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me, but I got to play it cool. Doesn't everybody in this business have those clothes because it's free is provided by the company. Yeah. Well, and, and that's my, that, yeah. Sorry. Go I was going to say my, my second thing, just to, to end this on a down note for a movie we genuinely enjoyed here. Um, when Meryl Streep's introducing everybody in Paris, she introduces her as this is the new Emily. But Emily herself only got the job when Anne Hathaway was hired and mm. has never been to Paris. So none of these people should know who Emily is. Jamie tried to say this thing. Oh, but they all would have talked to her on the phone at some point. Well, they all would have talked to Anne Hathaway on the phone because Anne Hathaway is the one primarily answering the phone. So Minor complaints, though. But otherwise, I, I think if this movie ended with Meryl Streep giving this big, 
you know, oh, this was my plan all along. Oh, and then let's add one final thing I hate in there. As I already alluded to several times, Anne Hathaway eventually sees Meryl Streep on the street, gives her kind of a nod. She gives her the nod, like, hello, and then gives her like this weird wave. Hello there. Just have her give the nod. You set up the nodding thing as the thing of approval. Anne Hathaway does the nod and then waves and Meryl Streep just sort of gets in the car and then smiles. She should have given the nod. That's an appropriate ending in the movie. Just, just rewriting a classic here. I didn't think about that. That's a good point, actually. Um, and it's also like, are we led to believe now that Anne Hathaway's like walked away from this job and she's going to go work at the New York Gazette or whatever it is, that she's going to start dressing down all frumpy again? Like, you yeah. know, you start dressing nice. Like, you're all saying, ah, fucking dressing in high fashion. I'm going to go back to <laughs> frumpy-licious world and all that sort of stuff. Frumpy-licious. <laughs> I'm frumpy-licious. Remember that song, Fergalicious? Good song. Fergalicious. Um, yeah. Bring back Fergie. What happened to Fergie? Make Fergie a thing again. Yeah, exactly. The the singer, not the duchess. No one likes her. Um, yeah. <laughs> actually, I have nothing against her. She seems like a nice woman. I don't really follow the royals. Whatever. Um, <laughs> the point is, they go to Paris. Um I, I'm kind of like Anne Hathaway. Like, I never get the big deal with Paris. I've never been to Paris. I don't know. But, like, mm. I'm obsessed with New York. If I'm living in New York, I don't want to go to Paris. I'm in New York. I'm happy. <laughs> like, mm. But I guess if you're from New York, it's like, oh, New York. Like, I'm sure there are people out there who like Winnipeg. Oh, I want to go to Winnipeg. Um, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. Um, but, um, yeah, the whole going on a break thing, just so they can excuse her sleeping with Simon Baker, to which she then says, I've broken up. She doesn't even say that we're on a break. Um, the one bit that annoys me in this movie about shoving things down your throat, which I also don't agree with, and I, I feel we're going to lose all our female listeners again right here, is the, the dinner scene when she's with Simon Baker and she drops that line of, if she was a man, no one would care. Now, that's meant to be one of those like, yeah, girl power. We're only looking down on her because she's a woman. And, you know, if it was a man, it would be different. I completely disagree. If this was a man, mm-hmm. you're still going to think this person's a jerk and an asshole. Yeah. No one's sitting around runway going, oh, fucking this guy's amazing because he yelled at me and told me to get a coffee and made me get a flight from Florida. Oh, what a man. Like, you're going to be like, fucking what a jerk. And like, well- what it seems like. She is celebrated. Everybody knows who she is. Exactly. And, and they love way. her. Yeah. They're loyal to her. Her employees don't hate her. Yeah. She's at red carpets being interviewed by E. Like, I mean, like, she's an mm. icon. People love her. This is the Ellen factor again. Like, it's legitimately yeah. people love her. And to me, that's just that throwaway, like, oh, girl, make the women of this movie take note that this is different because it's gender roles. Like, it cheapens the movie to me because, again, mm-hmm. you've got to take yourself out of it for two seconds to realise, oh, yeah, she's a woman. We've got to think differently. No, this whole movie does a good job of having roles where it's not shoved down your throat. We talked about Stanley Tucci. Like, again, we're implying the guy's gay. He might not be gay, but, like, I think he's meant to be gay. But it's not mm-hmm. shoved down your throat where you make your own assumptions about it. And this is where, again, we ramp on about this all the time in movies that there's nothing wrong with these movies it's only when you start making a massive deal about it it's the i'm just a girl song moment it's that moment Mm -hmm. in this movie which just made me mad i don't know if you had any thought of that when she says that line no but i actually thought there are okay the argument people usually have about oh you know a, a woman is uh, you know, look down for this, whereas men are applauded for being like uh, tough in business. It's the way you perceive different. It has nothing to do with women versus men. It's the way you perceive different genders. You know, I feel like if a woman is approaching you in the way a man does, 
you will naturally react differently the same way as if a man's approaching you the way the woman does. It's very awkward if you have a male boss who, I'm not going to say talks like a woman. I don't mean it that way. But men and women approach confrontation in different ways. Men are a little bit more aggressive. They're a little bit more to the point. But that has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, the way we mentioned this on other episodes. If we do a double on seven episode, we're insulting each other the entire time. That's just us joking around, you know? So guys don't necessarily mean it in the meanest way. Whereas typically if women, (laughs) especially towards Noah, uh, but (laughs) whereas it is true that women choose their words more carefully. So if a woman is saying something harsher to you, chances are she probably means it more than a guy. Whereas a guy could just be making a joke or a guy could just be busting your balls or whatever. Uh, I'm not saying it's right one way or the other. It depends on how somebody takes it, but men and women do approach things differently. They approach confrontation differently. They approach authority differently. I think that the reason Meryl Streep's character works so well in this movie is because this is what I think people would respond to with a female boss. She is just as aggressive, just as mean, but she's not trying to be a guy. You know, mm. she's she's not trying to compete with the guy. She's like, I'm feminine, and this is what strong women actually look like. All of the bad bosses I've had in my life have been women, and but that's not because they're women. Like, I've never... Not once when I've had bad experiences with a boss, gone, well, if, if she was a man, I wouldn't be having a problem. It's got nothing to do with that. It's, it's their attitude. It's how they treat you and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. And, like, I can think of, like, my most recent role where, you know, we got new management and they became a jerk and he was a guy. And But I didn't go, oh, you know, clearly I actually like this guy more than it would be if it was a woman. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. that never crosses my mind. And it's just, it's when you make it into a thing, it's when you have to think about it and, like, yeah, and and we also do live in a world where I think it comes down to that people are so set on defining things and like oh anyone can like yeah anyone can do everything like that's not a thing but like there are certain things about genders and race and sexuality that you can't change about that and I'm not mm. saying that's like the stereotypical bad things but like as you were saying like men around men are going to act differently than women around women men around women are going to act not, differently again we're not saying a hundred percent of the time we're saying yeah. Stereotypes exist for a reason because there generally is some basis towards them. Exactly, and it's and it's it, and it doesn't always have to be negative. Anyway, mm-hmm. the the social commentary of the Oz Network coming soon as a spin-off. Fuck, that would do well, wouldn't it? Um, so yeah, she fucks Simon Baker. Um, what was Jamie's comments on shirtless Simon Baker? Because I was expecting a bit more. You know what's funny is that uh, she had no comment on him for this entire movie, but yet I have watched other things with Simon Baker, and she's always like, who's that guy? Like, this is the first thing I've ever watched with Simon Baker in it where she's not completely floored. And I don't know why. Maybe, you know, he's too boring in this movie. Who knows? And, I mean, again, this is another tasteless thing they kind of do in this. This is a movie directed at females. You could have so many shirtless men in this and just shove it down your throat. They just have one shirtless guy and you barely see him shirtless. But I don't know. Like I thought Simon Baker would have a better body. Am I body shaming Simon Baker? Yes. But (laughs) I'm a man in a Tasmanian and we do it. You walk down the street in Hobart. Ah, shirtless man. You're fat. Yes, you are. Cool. Move on. Welcome to Tasmania. it's, it's, It's a valid reason to not give somebody a job. (laughs) <laughs> Simon Baker <laughs> should have been James Bond, but he was fat shamed. Sadly, he then missed out on Superman, so he was fat shamed again. So, um, but like again, this is the part where I just I always thought Simon Baker was more of a jerk. And even like I don't so <laughs> she Anne Hathaway discovers this mock cutout of uh, Runway. What's this? Like, oh, haven't you heard? We're taking over Runway. 
why would Simon Baker say that in the first place? Like, I feel like this should be like a, oh, I'm just into your thing, blah, 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 blah. But like, it's played off like this is the big, you know, Dick Dastardly thing. Like, oh, he's so evil. Like, he's not doing anything wrong. He's taking a job. Like, yeah. oh no, the guy's wanting to move up in the world. Oh, what a joke. Anne Hathaway has literally just taken Emily Blunt's job. Exactly. <laughs> and and has done left worse. her in the hospital. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, the, the reveal, because I remember I was watching this in Mallory and because it'd been a while since I'd seen it. And I, I remember I turned to Mallory and I'm like, doesn't like... Stanley Tucci get like screwed over or something. And she's like, yeah, it's just about to happen. Just watch. I'm like, oh, okay. I remember it now. Um, I, the, the, the ending is like, so she has a scene with Adrian. Like, I've got a job in Boston. Hey, they've got newspapers in Boston. Maybe I'll move to Boston. Okay. Oh, you know, cool. To which you then cut to a scene where she's basically, you know, gotten a job at the New York, whatever it is to which this guy, that guy's off something, by the way, the editor of that, he's definitely from something. Um, and he's like, oh, I got a reference sent through by uh, your boss. Said you were terrible, blah, blah, blah. But if I didn't hire you, you know, I would be an idiot. And it's like, oh, you know, it's good mm. girl. But like, this is where it's, is it meant to be ambiguous? And you're meant to be like, like, what's she going to choose again here? Because like, literally, she's basically at the beginning of, like, she's in the, the conflict of this movie once again. Boyfriend, job. Mm. Boyfriend, job. And I can yeah. see it. She's probably going to take the job, meaning she's probably going to leave Adrian. He's going to be completely supportive of it. <laughs> like, yeah. He's not going to be like, girl, fuck you. You said you'd move to Boston. <laughs> like, he's going to be like, fine, cool. Go Red Sox. You go for the Yankees. Move on. Like, that's literally <laughs> what's going to happen. But that's the one thing I'd like do not get about this movie is like, what is the ending here? Like, I don't get it. I feel mm. like you need to have her say, like, have the boyfriend scene after the job and be like, no, sorry, I'm going to take my job. Okay, love you. Yeah, exactly. Bye. Or, but I'm going to take the job that is my real dream job and not just something for money. And this has taught me a lot. This has taught me to be independent. Like, fucking girl, power it up. Like, or mm-hmm. do the opposite where she then says to the guy, like, can't take this job. Sorry, I've realized that this job has changed me. I need to be back to who I am. So I'm going to focus on my relationship um, and I've got to go to... I don't know. Have something in there. I just feel you leave it to, like, what you going to choose? And mm-hmm. I don't know if they're sequel baiting because I read somewhere that they were talking <laughs> about a sequel, but then they basically said, this movie's good enough. We don't need a sequel. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That's the one complaint. Well, I've had a few complaints in this movie. But, like, the two complaints, the ending, the over-the-top feminism line, and the third complaint, stop putting journalism down. And my biggest complaint is Meryl Streep is not the devil at all. In fact, I finished watching this movie and I thought to myself, would I work for somebody like that? No doubt Meryl Streep in this movie would be almost like my dream boss. Like this is what I want in a boss, you know? <laughs> well, now that I know that, Colin, I'm get me the fucking new Harry Potter script. Get off this podcast. <laughs> and before you do that, teach uh, me how to read. <laughs> yeah, because the Harry Potter manuscript's no good otherwise. And tell me who Harry Potter is. <laughs> um... Let's go to critics first. Let's see. This movie is like considered complete classic now, but 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is decent, but uh, interesting Metacritic, which is more a gauge on how much the the critics who recommended actually liked it, 62 out of 100. So it's more moderately considered successful critically. Uh, but uh, a lot of the reviews that uh, they have on here back up a lot of our points too. Um, uh, first of all, uh, Meryl Streep, uh, or I love this guy here, David Edelstein, criticized the film as thin, but praised Streep for her fabulous minimalist performance. 
uh, which completely agree with that. Uh, Village Voice said that it was improvement over the book and that Streep was the scariest, most nuanced, funniest movie villainous since Tilda Swinton's notified white witch in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Hmm. Um, uh, Emily Blunt praised for her. Uh, uh, this guy, David Denby, summed up in The Denby. New Yorker. The Denby! Uh, the Devil Wears Prada tells a familiar story and never goes much below the surface of what it has to tell. Still, what a surface. I think that's pretty fair. What a surface. <laughs> what a surface. Uh, box office. So this comes out uh, same weekend as Superman Returns. Uh, this was uh, something that uh, has had not always proven successful as let's open uh, counter programming for a big blockbuster movie. Uh, makes a ton of money, opens with $27 million. So basically does almost 50% of what Superman, uh, Superman Returns opening weekend is. And uh, almost makes his budget back within the first week. Goes on to make $124 million domestically, $326 million worldwide. Uh, so this final gross overall, it's the 14th highest grossing film domestically in 2006. Just ahead of The Departed, just behind Borat. Uh, top movies, of course, were Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Cars, X-Men The Last Stand, Da Vinci Code, and Superman Returns. Uh, number five. Uh, other classics like Over the Hedge. Australian movie. <laughs> we're in there feet. as well. <laughs> Happy Feet, yeah. Casino Royale, uh, only ninth. Yeah, well, worldwide, though, a little bit different. Uh, this actually did even better worldwide. You think this would be more of an American thing. 12th highest grossing film worldwide for the year. Hmm. Uh, and uh, Casino Royale was fourth highest grossing worldwide. Uh, so yeah, stupid Americans not knowing how to go see James uh, Bond. How, you I mean, just honestly, don't get it, America. How does Over the Hedge make more money than a James Bond movie? Like that's the forgotten movie. Like, uh, does Over the does anybody talk about Over the Hedge anymore? Does it? Wasn't does Avril anybody's Levine kid in that movie? Was she? I think she was because I think I nearly saw I it because Avril Lavigne was in it. <laughs> I just imagine you know people's kids storming to the room at three forty-five in the morning, going Over the Hedge, <laughs> demanding to watch it. Uh, let's look at the one star reviews here for this classic. Um, are you looking over anything I, I, here? I, I, I was. Can we just point out though that, um, one of the, the criticisms of the analysts of this movie, you know, all these big film critics who hold this movie up is basically the Wikipedia article is longer than the Godfather. I swear like this. Yeah. It was you painful. think this Whoa. based on this Wikipedia article, you would assume the devil wears pride is the greatest movie of all time. But like there was like somebody, I don't know if it was on the 10th anniversary of the film was like, you know, in retrospect, this film, the fact that it was outgrossed by Superman Returns on its opening weekend is is a travesty because no one talks about Superman Returns 10 years later, whereas Devil Wears Prada is iconic. I'm like, okay, you may be right. People probably do talk more about the Devil Wears Prada than Superman Returns. Not wrong there, but iconic. Um, yeah. And Superman Returns, shut up, everyone. It's a good movie. Stop talking down on Superman Returns. It's going to come soon yeah. to this podcast and it's a great movie and it deserves more love. And that person is going to have a lot of issues with all blockbusters because all blockbusters gross more. They're released in more theaters. They have bigger marketing campaigns. They appeal to wider audiences. So yes. I mean, you don't go off about the click outranking these. Um, yeah. What were we yeah. one star reviews? Sorry. Um, Stinkaroo. Uh, before, actually, I was going to say before we get there, Meryl Streep was nominated for Academy Award for Best Actress. Uh, also nominated for costume design and Golden Globes Awards. Golden Globes Awards. Uh, Golden Globes Awards. I just want to, uh, can I, just on the Meryl Streep factor, right? 
Yeah. So I was uh, IMDb proing it because we like to try and get guests on this show. And they've got like on the side bit, as they do on IMDb, like nominated for an Oscar plus seven other nominations and four wins. So I went to Meryl Streep's and it's like <laughs> nominated for um, whatever Oscars, blah, blah. I'm looking here on Wikipedia. 21 Oscar nominations. She's won three. So, I mean, let's go on percentages on like Oscar winners. Christoph Waltz, better actor than Meryl Streep. Um, yeah. <laughs> Rami Malek, be- Kobe Bryant. Better actor than Meryl Streep, hundred percent. Um, hundred and seventy-seven wins from four hundred and seven. One hundred and seventy-seven wins of various awards. I'm looking here. She's won three Oscars. She won nine Golden Globes. She's won three Emmys. Has she won a grant? Like, how is she on the EGOT scale here? She's been nominated for a Tony. She hasn't won a Tony. Nominated for six Grammys. Never won a Grammy. So. Meryl Streep, why do you keep going for Oscars? You need to go for EGOT. Because I do believe, isn't she up for like another Oscar nod for um, The Prom this year? Apparently she's in the talks for possibly being in the Oscar talk again. Oh, yeah. And she has another movie that came out, um, uh, one of those old lady movies. <laughs> do you think she <laughs> also like, talked about. like Meryl Streep seems like such a nut, but like do you honestly feel that she only takes movies in which she, or is it just a case of, she could be in The Expendables 4 and she's oh. going to get nominated. I bet you she messes with the Oscars. Like, hey, nominate me for this. And then yeah. they do. Like, she could have done Jack and Jill and she could have got, like, nominated yeah. for it. She could have done Catwoman, Oscar nomination. Like, I bet you she probably has chosen, like, the worst movies in her life. And she like, mm-hmm. oh, fuck, I got nominated again. Like, she doesn't even need to get an invitation to the Oscars. She just shows up. Uh, I got a really great one-star review here. I can't read this whole thing because it's not really even legible. Um, uh, No, no, no. This is not a good film. I was intrigued by the trailer and the fact that some of the cinema junkie, some of my cinema junkie friends had said it was worth a look. I'm so glad I didn't spend my hard-earned cash on a cinema ticket, but saw it on DVD. DVDs cost more than movie tickets. Uh, (laughs) It is mind-bendingly dull. The characters and the acting are wooden and two-dimensional. It says nothing of note and shock, horror. It's just not funny. Um, Okay, I've got a better one for you. This is from Basil-1, the headline. I don't like such kind of movies. They're coarse and rough and irritating. (laughs) Well, first to ask one question, what kind of people we want to see next to us, free or slaves? How anybody can imagine that somebody without slave mind can stay and work in such kind of company for such kind of woman. Maybe this is not woman, but a cow. Maybe this is... I'm going to to try and read this grammatically how this is spelt out. Maybe this is army to be at work at 6.30am to bring coffee for everybody. Maybe this company not have money for coffee machine to be real slave to such kind of witch. Do you want to know what I would do? There is one very sweet model of Sniper's Beretta M82. I think that is really nice idea to use this woman for target. And this woman who began to work for such kind of witch, this is slave. Who are you to tell me what kind of shoes to wear or that my clothes are not nice? Really? I'll say goodbye at the first working day and you can be sure that I'll meet this witch once more time in the court. What kind of comedy is this? You want to make slaves no free people. The first step is to watch this movie. It's basically this person wants to snipe a Meryl Streep. Um, wow. Um, 
Which and is other this reviews getting arrested? If anybody listened to this podcast, it would be Basil Dash One. Include headlines of the We Were Soldiers. Good made movie. Vertical limit. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> this person watched this movie. Yes, I agree. Let <laughs> us walked out of the cinema. <laughs> I'm not even going to read this whole review from Wayne's John. By the way, this is a guy writing the review. There is nothing more sexist than a guy trying to claim how sexist something is. Uh, <laughs> this, this, um, the whole thing is basically all the arguments you you made about, oh, he's not supporting her and stuff like that. Uh, but I love the way he finishes here. I hate films that set up this ridiculous dichotomy for women. No film like this would ever be made about a man. Ironically, a similar point is actually made in this film. And no woman should ever be led to the point of view that if your man doesn't like it and chucks you, that he's automatically right. I brought up other movies about men that are exactly the same. This is why I appreciated this movie. The Godfather? (laughs) Citizen Kane? Margin called Wall Street. <laughs> These movies are all the whole appeal of this movie is it is taking a genre that is uh, almost a hundred percent of the time about men and flipping the roles. That's why we like this. Yep, yep. Uh, we, we we're going to sign up. We say this all the time, just like we're going to start up a Patreon. We need to sign up and start writing reviews and just like <laughs> back, back in the Survivor Oz days, where literally we were on Survivor Wiki. Brad Pitt is their favorite actor. Like that became the going joke. That was funny, right? <laughs> So we're going to try and do this maybe by 2027. Uh, there's your promise. <laughs> Six years. Uh, plot keywords. Do you have any? Reference to JK Rowling month, I think. Man wears eyeglasses <laughs> month. Yep. <laughs> F rated. Throwing a phone into water month. I've been waiting for this. Featuring the Devil oh. Wears Prada, War Dogs, Cold Center, and You and Me Forever. Oh. Uh, I know I'm really looking forward to Cold the Illness Month. I love that they have to classify it as Cold the Illness versus Cold the Temperature. Uh, we could be talking about Emma, the Devil yep. Wears Prada, uh, Midnight Cowboy, and Bent. Ah, right. About a gay Jew sent to a concentration camp. Wow. Hitler would like that one. Um, cheating on one's boyfriend month. Send this one to Jamie. Um, Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> Love Actually, American Psycho, and The Devil Wears Prada. Decent movie. Oh, this Cerulean Month. <laughs> There's more than one. There are a ton on here. Uh, by a ton, I mean five. Uh, the Devil Wears Prada, Meet Dave, <laughs> Eddie oh, Murphy. Meet Dave, I like that movie. Raising the Stakes, and two separate episodes of X-Files. Cerulean the Color was a big enough deal that they have two X-Files episodes and two separate seasons dedicated to it. What about Ambitious Woman Month? Uh <laughs> Oh, sexist. Losing Alice, Veep, The Devil Wears Prada, and Psycho? Uh, <laughs> yep. Sure. Uh, so what are you going to do with this movie? I, I've, I've actually bumped myself up. Uh, Jamie asked me my opinion after this movie. Oh, what would you think of the movie? She asked me my opinion again today. I'm like, yeah, it was all right. But I think the more I talk about this, especially with Meryl Streep's character, just realizing how much I love her character in this movie when I'm not supposed to, maybe this movie doesn't, click the same way that I think they intended it to, but I think this movie's good enough to buy. I'm, I'm going to go on a ledge here and say I'm buying this movie. I'm so impressed with you, Colin, that you're going out and buying Devil Wears Prada. Oh, you're growing. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm absolutely buying this movie because, again, like, 
you sort of talk about how like Jamie's like, oh, let's put on the Devil Wears Prada. Like, there's a bunch of movies at Mallory. Let's watch this. I'm like, no, no, no. But like, honestly, if she says to me, let's watch the Devil Wears Prada, I'm like, okay. Like, I'm, I'm definitely mm-hmm. gonna. This is up there in those sort of like chick flicks that I'm not meant to like, right? But like, Miss Congeniality, Love Actually, Notting Hill, you know, uh, You've Got Mail, Bridget Jones's mm-hmm. Diary. These are like chick flicks that I absolutely really love, and I will mm-hmm. gladly watch them over some action movies. So. Um, yeah, I like Devil Wears Prada. It's a good movie. Um, it's fun to nitpick on it, but you know, it's like we talked about Crocodile Dundee a couple of weeks ago. Like it's just, it's a pretty, you know, standard movie. It's fun to watch. You're not really going to come out of it going, Oh, this is dead ringers. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I like the Devil Wears Prada. I, I don't think it will come out at number one of this month, but having said that, yeah. I've not seen Point Break. I don't have an opinion on it, but I'm going to be buying two of the other movies this month. So I'm assuming Ferris will come out on top, given that it came out at number two in yeah. my overall rankings of all time. Um, no, mm-hmm. actually, Devil Wears Prada is a better movie than Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Changing my Well, you never know. Point Break may beat it. Maybe. And then Evolution, which let's talk about now, I guess, because that's next let's week. Let's talk I was about to, it. I was trying to explain it to Mallory, and she's like, huh? And I, like, she literally <laughs> has not heard of any of the actors. I'm like, David Duchovny, don't know who that is. Okay, what? Uh, Sean Williams, don't know who that is. Atlanta, don't know who that is. Julianne Moore, don't know who that is. So, How does she not know who Julianne Moore is? Because she likes Julianne less. I don't know. Um, you, you, you've, you've shown her Jurassic Park? I don't think she's seen the second one. Maybe. Or we did really? watch it. I don't know. Mallory's weird. She doesn't... You know, know I made who. Jamie watch all 22, I'm trying to think at that point, all 22 James Bond movies that existed prior to us getting married. Uh, you did not make Mallory watch all Jurassic Park movies. That's shocking. Well, I mean, I'm mar- I well, okay, she'd watch Star Wars by the time we got married. Uh, I mean, I married this woman and she hasn't even seen uh, all the James Bond yet movies. We were going to, but they keep delaying no time to die, so we can't watch it. <laughs> Anyways, Evolution. <laughs> Uh, just quickly, we should point out, it is the 2001 film by Ivan Reitman, not the yes. 1971 animated short by Michael Mills or the 2015 French film. Oh, we just lost a lot of listeners. They all run away. They're French. Um, yeah. Evolution, though. This movie's amazing. We Did we not bring this up randomly like a year or two ago and then all of a sudden we were like, yeah, hey, next year we're it's doing the it. 20th anniversary. We should do it. And going to say we're probably the only podcast ever to cover <laughs> Evolution. I feel if we were to get David Duchovny on the show, he'd be like, oh, I remember that movie. Not like I did a movie called Evolution. Um, Sean William Scott will be talked about for the first time in about 20 years as well. Good for him. And... Sorry, I think you were meant to be going first to this. I've just interrupted you. Um, I love no, this movie. It. I love, love, love this movie. I think I had not seen it. I think I got it as a random gift for one, Christmas one year on DVD. I'm like, oh, Evolution. Okay, I'll, I'll check this out. Fucking loved it. And I would just watch this like religiously every single year. And I think we mentioned like a week or two ago that this is one of those ones that I'll randomly drop quotes at, but because Evolution is forgotten about, like no one gets it. So um, Ty Burrell's in this movie as well. Huh. And, oh, yeah, Greg Eatson. I knew he's in it. But I didn't realize Ty Burrell's in this movie. I like Ty Burrell. And Ted Levine's in this movie. Is that the Silence of the Lambs guy? Yeah, and also, like, Jurassic Park connections in this movie. Uh, yeah, no, I, I remember seeing this movie and really enjoying it, uh, but it's not something I've gone out of my way to keep up on. I think the first time you mentioned Evolution, I'm like, oh, that takes me back, Evolution. Uh, but the one thing that is the selling point for this is Orlando Jones. Like I think oh. we said it with the, when we did the 20th, this is two years in a row where Orlando Jones is making anniversary month. Uh, can we go three for three? I don't know bedazzled if he did anything next in 2002. Uh, we've done Bedazzled, haven't we? No, we didn't do Bedazzled. Yeah, did we, we have. Bedazzled? We have. We did, did we do Bedazzled, bedazzled last year. So. Oh, we we've did. done Brent three Fraser. Orlando we... Jones movies. Still no Jim Carrey's, but three Orlando Jones movies in we less than a year. We, we did The Grinch, uh, but you know. Oh, like... I guess we have done one. Yeah. 
But uh, no, I I love Orlando Jones. Like he's so brilliant, and I I, I really hope that uh, he makes like a massive comeback and uh, does Evolution too, maybe. But I just remember that this was all promoted as like, oh, it's like Ghostbusters with aliens because Ivan Reitman directing it and everything. And I remember thinking, oh, you know, it's not Ghostbusters, but it's pretty good. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to revisit it for the first time in many years. There's, and like the cast in this movie, like we talked about, you know, like the main guys. And like, I know you don't like David Duchovny, but I'm going to defend the shit out of him because I'm a big X-Files fan. I love David Duchovny. And I watched um, uh, fucking Hank Moody. What was the one he did on Showtime? Um, Californication. I uh, love that show oh, as well. Yeah. I only watched that because he was in it, right? Um so, and but like, I'm looking here. So yeah, I definitely remember that Gregory Itzen is in it, which means nothing if you're not a 24 fan. Um, mm-hmm. Dan Aykroyd, of course. I forgot Tyra Burrell's in it. Ethan Suplee. Now, that's a name that probably doesn't stand oh. out to many people. But like, if you ever watch uh, My Name is Earl, he was in Remember yeah. the Titans, I think. He's a really, really mm-hmm. fat dude who now is like making the news because he's lost Buffed. so much weight. He is fucking buff. Um, also, random roles, which I cannot remember them in the movie. Uh, Kyle Gass and Sarah Silverman are also apparently in this. And John Cho. All mm. kind of people who are kind of biggish names now. So this movie's just fun. This is just one of those ones. That it's kind of like when we, I mean, The Replacements is getting a lot of love now, but um, I feel this is a movie that needs to come out of the woodwork as just a fun, random, like cult movie. Because I don't think there's anything wrong with this movie. It's just silly. It's just weird. And it's going to make you have that, um, get play that funky music, wild boy <laughs> song stuck in your head. Because that's what they use in the trailers. And I think they sing it in a truck once they kill an alien. So. We'll be singing that next week. Coming soon, Evolution uh, and other stuff eventually when we can <laughs> start releasing it. But we are banking episodes that we have not uh, released yet. So lots Our of exciting things. episode is very close, people. We're saving We're getting there for the big guest. If review. we get Orlando Jones on our thousandth episode, that's, oh, we've won. Better than Orlando Bloom. Who, who's your favorite Orlando? Yeah. Orlando Jones. <laughs> Everybody's favorite Orlando is Orlando Jones. One of these actors doesn't cry after getting stabbed in Troy. <laughs> Stupid movie, Troy. Uh, I didn't mind him in Troy. I hate Troy. What a dumb movie. Ah, uh, Alexander's way worse than Troy, though. You got to give me that. I uh, saw five minutes of it and I couldn't get through it. <laughs> oh, good. Then it's worse. Gladiator's Anyways. better than both. <laughs> a master and commander's better than them all. Never uh, seen it. Did you see Russell Crowe recently defending that on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, no, it was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and they need to make a sequel. Maybe think uh, of you when I stole that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he stole that argument from me, by the way. Anyways, <laughs> thank you for joining us. My name is Colin, and it's the Snoop Dizzle Whistle. <laughs> and my name is Ben, and I need to move Colin to get Snoop Dogg at my table. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at the Oz network.net. Thanks again for listening and we'll speak to you next time.